Hola, homo estas. That's Spanish for how are my girls and gays. Right now, you are listening to your favorite fat host, Rashid, a.k.a. Freedom John, a.k.a. I know my IG make me seem mean, but I bitch nice. And I am sitting here with my co-hostess with a mostess, my best friend, my girl. Yeah, like that. A.K.A. Fat Badu, A.K.A. Eartha Clit, A.K.A. Bilbo Swaggins. What is going on, BB? What is the tea? Hello. So glad to be here this afternoon, evening, whatever it is. I'm doing amazing. Well, a little bit amazing. Like I told you, Amazon has been fucking with my packages all week. I'm trying to get some sensory bath toys for my daughter and the racism is popping out because I'm the only black person in this complex. I'm feeling like this is an act. This is a hate crime. Boycott what did Amazon. You buy? Uh, so it's these. It's like this Ferris wheel thing. Oh God! Oh, they stole it. It's right. That's what I'm feeling too. And then, and, you <laughs> that's know, what I jumped to. Oh, they that, stole it. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. Though it's like that. It was like these splash toys, and then like this little sprinkler thing. And it's all fine and dandy. But when you talk to the customer service about it, they're like, "Oh, they just marked it as delivered um, prematurely." I'm like, "But isn't that fucking illegal, Loki? Like they just see, like they." Keep I believe kinda... it is. That's what a lot of shit was happening to me during like COVID when the mail services weren't running really well. Because I'm like, they keep trying to normalize that. And I'm like, y'all know that's weird to mark shit as delivery. And it's not delivered, though, right? Okay, you hate this shit with your little language. Normalize. <laughs> You're really y'all ass. bitches be trying to normalize everything. Normalize being ignorant hood bitches again. Purr. Like you? Yeah. Okay, but no. And first off, normalize isn't even a bad word. You be using big words all the time, and I let you be great, but I can't okay. say normalize. That's you're crazy. an SJW. Is it? Is it? Because? I remember one of my friends who you know, one no. of my really close yeah, friends who yeah, you know, yeah, one time know. called me an SJW, and I was like, "What?" That was a very interesting time. <laughs> I enjoyed. That was an era. That was such a wild time. Shout out to her. Yeah. But I told you what's up with me. Like, what's up with you? Like, what's going on, BBL buddy? I, 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 I am doing well. I can't really complain. Yeah, life is good. What y'all want to know my business? What flavor water ice was you eating? Oh, I was eating cotton candy. It was so you dirty. Good. You dirty. And I had a little pretzel with it. I was scooping the water ice with the pretzel. That was like my first time having water ice in about maybe two, three years. You think you hot shit, huh? No, I think I'm cool shit. That shit was cooler than a mother. Where the fuck? Where'd you get it from? Oh, I got it from some stands. So Black Soul Vintage was having a Black Soul block party. And so they had this group of people who were just selling water ice. It was like. $1 $1 for a small, $2 for a medium, $3 as, for a large. As so you know what I got? A large. A large. Oh, <laughs> shout out to Clinton Bronson. Did you know that Abbott Elementary got renewed for a 22-episode season for season two? I thought you were about to say for a 22, for 22 seasons. So I was like, this is kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> I like, so, I mean, I saw that news and that made me feel good because Abbott Elementary is really getting its things. It deserves it. It I does. Think, yeah, it's just setting a different precedent for TV. 
and showing that you can be original. You can be original with your thoughts and all of your shit doesn't have to come from social media. You don't have to make social media threads your plot line. You bitches aren't Zola. Y'all aren't interesting. And even that as a film wasn't interesting. Thank you. Okay, cool. I was going to say that. Okay, cool. I'm like, this, that was really wild. I think it's just that when you get the juiciness and the intensity of the actual thread, but then also when you watch the retelling by Asia Star, nothing gets better than the retelling by Asia Star. Asia Star. It, Asia Star, <laughs> again, like, I always respect, I have, I have, like, so much respect for Asia Star because she walks so these other bitches can run. And even then, they still not walking or running as fast as, as fast as her because she really is that bitch. Like, okay, you, cr- they crawling. You peep, you peeped at the new girls. Well, the new boys, they no longer can really like play your wigs to be funny. Like people like, you yeah, know, that's not funny no more. It's like, really not. Like, I don't understand how <laughs> it's gotten this far. Like, this is ridiculous at this point. Like, I'm not understanding it. It really should have just ended with like Asia Star. Honestly, when he grinded up Tracy Braxton, rest in peace, girl. But when he grinded Tracy Braxton up and told her that you can buy Louis Vuittons with four McDonald's checks. <laughs> but you know what I you know who I will give it to though. You know the nigga on Instagram who be do who be acting like he's like the the school administrators and the principals and he be walking around with the key with the key rings and shit full of keys like you know what I'm talking about if you oh, yeah, know who be like mm-hmm. because I'm not gonna front he really be sending me because that's exactly how all of the black fucking teachers and faculty members were at my fucking schools like all of them mm-hmm. and there's only we, yeah no but that's just really it for me like I genuinely enjoyed those kids because I remember sitting in class like for lunch with like my guidance counselor in like elementary school and that's exactly how she would interact with me. And she I got my favorite student here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's I'm so fucking ugly. Yeah. But no, I just I have to give props for that because it's actually funny shit. But yeah, definitely um Asia Star was that girl. Also and like you said, props to Abbott Elementary. Cause it's really just real Philly shit. Like the way that the shit is underfunded and shit. So they touch on all that. And it's like, and it's funny, but it's sad. It's sad, but funny. Cause it's, it's like, tea, damn. It's yeah. Not us doing what's T all early. We only in the early conversation child. Maybe you should just go ahead and get Okay, my, I'm sorry. Okay, it was your fault. You brought up Abbott Elementary. Okay, that's your fault. Anyway, all right. So today we have a great lineup of things, in my opinion. And perhaps I'm biased, but I don't really care. But the things that we're talking about for what's tea topics include two recent situations and announcements regarding the more recent monkeypox outbreaks that breaks whatever outbreak ricky martin's bullshit and then Lil uzi vert um philly's finest i'm not gonna say finest but philly's own yeah i wouldn't philly's say own. I'm, I'm gonna say I mean, he's definitely philly's own okay, i know i'm like i don't you, you know it's, it's it immediately said philly's finest but i'm like it's philly's own but yeah that's yeah. what we have for what's tea philly's finest mm-hmm. and for girl talk Today, we're going to be making space in the girls' room because we have two, yes, two visitors and guests. Yes, that is right. And they are going to add to the mess and good time that we always have here on TGR. We are inviting my mutuals and good Judy's, Messiah and Andre, to the show, and they will just join us in conversation centered around the non binary experience. Yes, can't wait for that because we're definitely looking forward to that conversation um, for identities and things like that are something that we have been consistently highlighting for some of our more recent episodes, like when we did our episode specifically talking about neurodivergency. So though different circumstances, being non-binary can be both a side effect of your experience, but can also shape your experience as well. So today we want to Make sure we have an open discussion with some of our fellow NBs to show how similar our experiences can be, but also how different they can be too. 
And I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you guys are too. Okay, girl. I see you out here informing and whatnot. You did that and you said that. So now it's time for my weekly question, which you knew was coming, right? I want to hear you name one thing that a person can do that can make you instantly mad. A lot of people don't know. It takes a lot to get me angry. I'm really not an angry person. I'm pretty mild-mannered for the most part. I think it's probably one person that can make me upset. And it's my daughter's father. So I'm going to say either be him. That can make me instantly mad if you're him. But also just specifically disrespecting people I love. And when you disrespect or I feel like you're just not really treating, you know, and then you're not treating the people I love right, I'm going to get upset. The people that I surround myself with, myself with, I feel like deserve to be respected. They deserve everything. They're worthy of everything. So when people don't, you know, act as such, I have a fucking problem with it. So that goes for my daughter. That goes for mom. That goes for Rashid, like Danny. Oh, like everybody. Like treat them mm-hmm. with respect. Put respect on their name. Like fuck, are you talking about, bitch? Like what are you talking about? That was so poetic. Oh, but you know what else? What? Oh, with my food. If you fuck with my food, I, that I almost, I almost killed Shiloh the other day. She put my Chick Fil A nuggets in her mouth. And oh wow, they were probably delicious too, weren't they? They were. That's the fucking th- yo. Like she put them in she her won. mouth, but you know, but you know why it made me even more mad? She don't. You know, she don't even eat. She ate, she put four like four. I got a five piece. She put four nuggets in her mouth, and uh, and she only ate one, and the well, uh, other course. three came out soggy. I was gonna say, well, of course, because otherwise she probably would have choked. Okay, but why <laughs> you put all three? But why you put all of them in your mouth and only ate one? And she didn't have no interest in eating the other ones that were so- that she made soggy. She was eager. Whose side are you on? Like, I'm confused. I'm in the middle, but I also just feel like we're in a stage where she should be reading things like the little engine that could. And if she feels inspired to put five, six chicken nuggets in her mouth, well, then you should just let her have that. And I feel like as a mother, look, 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 you gotta be like, as a mother, I feel like you're hindering her growth and you're hindering her individuality. And you're telling her that she can't when you should be telling her she can do whatever she wants in life. It's actually funny that you bring that up because we got the little engine who could sent to us from Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, which if you all have kids, it's fun. They give you so free sweet. books. They give you free books. Um, if I only had a nickel. I'm sorry. What did she say? If I only had a nickel or a nigga? You know, I'm going to say nickel because I don't think Dolly Parton could have rose to fame with saying nigga. You don't think so? I don't think so. You don't think so? Do you know when Dolly Parton came out? <laughs> She's literally older than fucking Whitney Houston's discography. Please keep in mind that I will always love you as actually Dolly Parton's. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you see the way my face changed? I <laughs> saw. Like, wait, I'm like, wait, what kind of Black History fact mm-hmm. is that? I know. I'm just like, this is the- <laughs> for Black History Month, we definitely need to come with some interesting facts. So this is okay. Um, that's wow. I didn't know that. Um, I don't know any song that she sang that she sang. I just know Jolene because people talk. Jo- about it yes, I was just about to go into it, and they said that's like that's about somebody who was hitting on her husband or some shit. So yeah, hitting on her husband. She was pleading to that bitch to not take her man in that song. It was a little bit more about just hitting on your husband. Well, she that said that's what she. Well, I don't know. She said that was she. I don't know. She said that was um. That was what. That's what you know inspired the song. So I don't know. I don't know the woman. So, but anyway, 
what's one thing that a person can do that can make you instantly mad? I'm going to say that when somebody asks you something and you give them the honest answer, or you only give them what it is they ask for, no matter what it is, I have a very big issue. And I'm like, girl, like, I don't understand what the problem is. If you've asked me for something, I'm giving you my honest feedback. And now you're mad at it. (laughs) So, I mean, I really have nothing further to go into about that. I just think that it's fucking ridiculous that people ask for things. And also, it just is a, a testament to people's character that I feel like people can't be honest with you. And you yourself are not an honest person. Because I feel like you're just going around and trying to be nice about everything and just be so happy-go-lucky about everything for the hell of it because you feel like that's how you're going to keep friends. And I'm like, no, bitch, this is real rap brawl. <laughs> we go off. We telling the girls how it is when they ask for our opinions. I'm not just going to insert it, like, knock, knock, I'm at the motherfucking door, but I won't go in the door until you tell me so. When you ask me something and when I deliver something, I expect... To just have that be received. I don't even sometimes feel like it needs a rebuttal. But then I think beyond that, sometimes what people do that really annoys the shit out of me is when you give them something they asked, like when they ask you a question, specifically also when they have no knowledge on a specific topic and you give them the answer and then it becomes like this, not necessarily questioning, To like authentically understand, but automatically being combative and giving counterpoints. And I'm like, but you didn't even know shit about it two seconds ago. But you had the motherfucking nukuth and nerve and audacity to ask me to come out my motherfucking pocket full of knowledge and spare you and grace you. <laughs> like it's just so beyond me that some people do that. I think that if you need, if you're going to be combative about something and you're asking for honesty, you shouldn't be expecting a lie. Is that too much to fucking ask for? Is it too much? Yes. Some people don't possess common sense, and that's unfortunate. I don't know what to say because I also have a problem with those people. And I feel like me and you come in contact with people like that very often. No, we do. Yeah. So I can definitely, yeah. So I could definitely put that. I'll put that on my list too. That's drawing, especially when it's like specifically, I had this problem with people that I know about relationships, like romantic relationships when they ask your opinion and then like, they're not ready for the actual response. And it's like, wow, what the fuck did you come here for? It's just like, I don't know. But they're not a bad person. And I'm like, okay, cool. But you asked me. But also, didn't they, me, didn't, didn't they fuck your mom? You asked me, Miss Cleo, if you already knew the fucking future, Raven. You should have just left me the fuck out of it. Okay. Raven's no longer home, bitch. She done packed up and she left San Francisco and she's living in L.A. now. Oh, wait. She's living in Atlanta now. L.A. is San Francisco is in L.A. Don't, girl, the high, the weed is kicking in, y'all, please. <laughs> okay, child. Well, it is time for Wits Tea, where we spill and you sip as Erica and I go over the most interesting things that come across our screens. So first up, it should be no surprise that I'm talking about the infamous 
monkeypox thread that was shared on Twitter a few weeks ago. So as the tale goes, we know that a guy basically came to the timeline to talk about his experiences with monkeypox in hopes to inform people. But unfortunately for him, Chow, the responses he got weren't necessarily what he came prepared for, honey. You know, he came to give a blowjob, but the girls fucked him. <laughs> Sorry, this is too much. <laughs> so inside of this thread, the person mentioned that they were getting weird symptoms like bumps, which he initially thought were like mosquito bites. He then started getting sweats and a fever. And so he got a COVID test and a flu test and both were negative. But the thing is, he was still sick and he hadn't gotten a diagnosis for anything. And he was going out and he was doing things like going to the gym and getting his nails done. So soon after that, he noticed his bumps were becoming worse and that when he went to scratch them, the skin would break. <laughs> Child, between then and the diagnosis, so much shit happened. This nigga thought he had hemorrhoids, like two doctors told him, to, <laughs> told him to test for herpes, which came back negative. And then this nigga went to go see a gastro specialist, right? It wasn't until he spoke to his primary care doctor who told him to get a monkeypox test, which came back positive, which led to the thread. But baby, there was just so much shit to unpack in that thread. But what really struck people wrong was the thought and then action to do things in public, doing things in a public setting while he was still sick. So let's get into that. Let's unpack that a little bit. I was just talking to Nomad of Germantown, the street artist, about this earlier. When I had COVID and even the days after I had COVID, after I tested negative, I felt some kind of discomfort about going outside because... I didn't really know how long it was in my system. I didn't know if it was still passable. It's just a certain like uncomfortability with knowing that you were sick or having a, not knowing the trial period of when something can be contagious, right? Because a lot of shit has been said about COVID. Let me just say this. There's been a lot of shit said about COVID. There's been a lot of shit said about monkeypox. There's been a lot of shit said about the flu, right? <laughs> in our lifetimes. But the thing about it is so much weird shit and so much distrust has formed from like the government and the people who are like the scientists telling us these things. So much trust has been broken on the side of a citizen like myself and with an expert like themselves that you don't even want to believe certain shit or you can't believe certain shit sometimes. Because you also start to see with things like monkeypox that there's an agenda spread. And we'll get into that later. When I was talking to Nomad, I was just talking about how I know so many people who are like, yeah, I'm sick. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm at like, you know, but I'm at such and such a place. And I'm like, yeah, y'all do know that <laughs> just because y'all wear masks, masks in public while you're sick, whether you have monkeypox, whether you have covid or whether you just have the common cold, that shit is trifling. Like, that's trifling as fuck that you don't care about other people, right? And this is the thing for me. A lot of people will say, oh, it isn't COVID, it isn't monkeypox, but people have immunocompromised systems, right? So immunocompromised systems, something as small as a common cold for people with those kind of systems, that shit can be very hazardous. That shit can be life-threatening for some people. And so you don't think about certain 
you know, certain people when you like commit those actions or even children, right? Even babies. That's what I'm going to say is I think that there's an idea behind people having symptoms of any kind, feeling sick of any kind, and just simply not giving a fuck. <laughs> That's just really trifling. There, like, there's no coming back from that. So what ended up happening was because of that, a homegirl got to her new asshole, which I'm sure hurt because she said her asshole hurt. And then also they were saying, like, they got hemorrhoids. It was like, yeah, I thought it was just another hemorrhoid um, when, like, I regularly get them because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, what? I'm like, your ass already be going through so much. Literally. <laughs> a lesion? A lesion? <laughs> yeah. So how did you feel about this when you heard it, Erica? Well, okay, I'm glad you asked me. I've been waiting to talk about this shit because it was interesting. It was just so much to unpack. It was like he was going through so many things at once. And it was kind of like also. So, of course, he talked about the different symptoms he had, which were the lesions, which was the discomfort. The thing that really got me more so was when he discussed that he couldn't cough, sneeze, fart or honestly do anything that would require tightening his asshole without wincing in pain. Because... (laughs) I'm just really, I was really in shock because it was like, it's no way I'm having problems with my asshole and a doctor going to tell me the shit and it like don't, and it don't connect with what I got. Like, it's just like, it's no way he was letting people bitch him and it wasn't going to happen with me. Like, it was just like, it shit didn't, the shit wasn't connecting. And it's like, if I can't sneeze or fart, we taking all the fucking tests. Like, it's just, that's it. Like, it's no herp. We're not stopping. It's just herpes. It's everything. Period. Give me everything. Like, give me everything tonight. Like, it was just. <laughs> but, like, as you said, like, when you realize everything. that he's. Everything, man. Say a fear. Who's up? No, did you make followers? But, yeah, like, I, similar to what you said, when I realized he was going out with this shit, it was really interesting because regardless of if he thought. It was something serious. Not the the shit that was going on with him wasn't really normal symptoms. You know what I'm saying? Like these weren't things that were ordinary. Yeah, those were 100 very unique. Yeah, like symptoms. I don't like I don't have the symptoms in front of me. But from what I remember, again, like what I remember, like what I said earlier, the problems with his rectum, like his asshole, all that shit. It was like yeah. lesions. And I'm sorry, but I've never experienced leprosy, so lesions. And that's what I'm saying. So like that's but so like it's like I feel like though I don't like again like I said I don't have all the symptoms in front of me right now. But those two by itself would have probably and also the fact that like his skin was breaking, I probably wouldn't have opted to go outside. And it's like. And it's like people like that shit has to happen to them because they don't have any common fucking courtesy. Like what COVID has taught me and I'm sure many other people is that there's no such thing as collective responsibility. And that's very sad because despite the fact that people are always speaking on the lives of others and feeling like they can speak on everybody's isolated and individual experiences, we still don't feel the need to help the person next to us and like lend a helping hand. Like you said, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this as well. I don't think a lot of people thought about the people who are immunocompromised up until the pandemic. So for me personally, I'm very used to thinking about people who who are immunocompromised because I grew up with Uncle Randy. My Uncle Randy had HIV, he had AIDS, which, you know, which then, you know, turned into AIDS. So I constantly had to like kind of like be quarantined and shit when I brought shit home from school. So I remember that. 
but yeah, you're right. People definitely don't have the right to go outside and into public places when they are sick. And I, with this being said, I understand people have to make money. However, do they need to get manicures when they're sick? Manny's petties? I think the fuck not. He could have waited a week or two or however long he needed till the fucking shit went away before treatment even started. I think this is a very trifling young man, very nasty, nasty bitch. And I mean that in the worst way, not like nasty bitch, like nasty girl, like Beyonce, whoever's saying it. It's nasty. Yeah, I know you want to be in my nasty world. You know, you want to spend time with a nasty girl. I'm going to miss that show. Queens on ABC. That was such a good show. I don't know that show, but I remember I saw a clip of um, Brandy going off in a cypher and I was like. Yeah, her and Eve used to snap. And I was like. Tori Norton was in it too. That was so random when I saw her on the cover. I was like, hmm. "You think so? You think that's random?" I, would that be, she's not a bad person. It was just like I'm like, because hmm, like I look at Brandy and I look at Eve, and I feel like they were kind of on the same caliber as far as energy. But like her, I'm like, I don't, I didn't really see it. But of course, I don't. Well, you really know, Tori Norton has been like has gotten a little popular in recent well, days because meant, of her role in Power. So well, a lot I just of people meant as far actually, as demeanor, like I don't like I don't really? yeah, I, I don't mean, know. That, like, she has a really powerful presence. You just have to be there. You have to have had, had watched. Let Power me rephrase this. Tasha's, I was thinking like, of present. was she? Does she rap? Because that's what I was. That's what I actually meant. She yeah, she rap. Either way, Brandy ate that, so I don't know what to say at that. Point. Oh yeah, brand new. Brandy, that's, Brandy eats. Brand so new. Just, that's her. You know, that's her rap. That's her rap alter ego. I don't know if you know that. I did. You know, know when that, you know I when Beyonce like went out and got Sasha Fierce, all the girls wanted alter egos, and so brand new was Brandy's. I have an alter ego too. It's Candy Rodriguez. That just sounds like two random names you put together. No shade. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes on you. When I was eight, I told mom I wanted to change my name to Candy Rodriguez. So it's always been a thing. And I put it together very eloquently. So in your face, you don't know shit about me. Fuck out of here. Anyway, so listen, you have brought up a really great point about collective responsibility. And so I just want to ask you a question about collective responsibility. What do you think is the reason that collective responsibility just is failing and it's kind of just a mere myth? It's one of those words that you know exist or those phrases that you know exist, but nobody ever actually uses it because there's no use of to people. Oh, that's easy. Respond. <laughs> it's like it's about convenience. Like if shit isn't convenient for people, they're not going to follow it. So again, like we've seen these lawmakers do these things where they want to do abortion bans and they want to be able to have autonomy over people's bodies, but in that they don't want to really take the precautions to help other people um in their own body. Like so the people who a lot of, and white people, a lot of white people, um they have a they want to make sure that people abortions are banned or people in power republicans and all that shit but they also at the same time don't want to keep the mass mandates up and i'm not understanding that because i feel like if you were going to be pro-life you would want to enhance the life of the people around you the consistency isn't there for me personally and it's always very interesting people having to wear masks and things like that are very uncomfortable people don't like wearing them because it's like it's hot it can create a rash for some people. And also it's just like, you can't see other people's faces and like, oh my God, I can't see people's faces. That's going to make me die. So it's like shit, like little shit that really shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Make it inconvenient for people to wear masks and makes them, makes the whole concept of collective responsibility fail. If it's not convenient for people, they will not do it. Um, And that even goes to like mm-hmm. shit like we talked about before. Like even when it comes to um littering, right? People can complain about littering and shit like that. But they won't want to pick up the litter. 
read honey yeah so it's just like so it's like if you want to make shit better do the work and also maybe expand it by you know bringing in the people around you as well that's how i feel about collective responsibility so it's not convenient so they don't want to do it i appreciate you expanding on that i think about this new 76ers project that they're trying to bring to downtown area right so with that possible development coming to the downtown center city area there's that whole section of chinatown right there that would be affected so we know as black people where development comes displacement so when i see a lot of the same black people who advocate to get rid of a lot of developments and stop letting developers in and stop selling vacant lots and then those black people are then being like well I would love to have the stadium down there. And sometimes people just have to get over X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, but wait, that doesn't cause you any dissonance. They don't see the displacement of Asian folks being a problem. What that could be for is a whole completely different conversation. And I will not go into it today. But nonetheless, it should cause you some dissonance, right? But because the convenience is there for them, they're 76ers fans, and then they, A, I mean, they, B, aren't actually being displaced in that moment, and it's something they feel they'll enjoy, <laughs> they're okay. They're okay with a, a whole group of people being displaced, the property rates going up, right? The property taxes and shit like that going up. Just overall not being able to afford the area anymore. They don't, they don't care about that. And so that's kind of just how I see it. And so I 100% do agree with exactly what you said. I also don't understand why they have to put that there. Like, I, when I saw that they were building that shit there, I'm like, I just don't understand the purpose. Like, also, the Sixers suck, in my opinion. I for, I really forgot they were a thing up until recently with whatever happened with the with the Bull, Ben Simmons, something like that. But yeah, I don't, I think it's very stupid. I think it's not a power move. And I think that, well, you know, the city never cares about people, really. They just care about revenue um, and profit and shit like that, so. That's always fun. But I don't know. I hope no. that it never works out. It's always profit over everything. I mean, this is a capitalistic society, so we already know that's going to happen, right? But going back to the original point of the conversation, which was the monkeypox thread. At the end of the day, I am very sure that man learned quite a few lessons. <laughs> Anybody being caught a trifling nasty bitch while battling a lesion on their whole <laughs> probably would child i also think about i also have imagined the sound of his pain and anguish as a sound from the 2000s pop hit from britney spirits oops i did it again you know what she'd be like <laughs> like i just feel like that's what his pain sounds like yeah so yeah I'm going to give that man his peace back and give him some advice before we leave. Don't push too hard, girl. Sorry to you. But what you got next for me, Erica? Unfortunately, according to reports, Ricky Martin allegedly, I guess you could say, had a sexual relationship with his 21-year-old nephew, who was just identified as a person who filed a restraining order against him due to claims of stalking and domestic abuse. Basically, his nephew, and I don't, I don't, I'm trying to 
think if I have his name, whatever. He said that he ended the seven month relationship with Ricky Martin, which is his uncle. Um, and he did not take the news well and began stalking him outside of his home, um, constantly reaching out via phone calls, text messages, and things of that nature. So the nephew claimed that he suffered from both physical and psychological abuse um, during a relationship with Ricky Martin. So under Puerto Rican law, if Ricky Martin is proven guilty in this, he could actually be sentenced to up to 50 years in prison. So of course, Ricky Martin is denying all of this. So what do you think? I was about to draw off and be like, Tao Vaz. <laughs> weird as shit. Like, you really weird. I'm like, I mean, what really is there to say? It's just dirty. It's trifling. I know that it's not necessarily his blood nephew, but A, that age gap. I'm like, you're like well into your 40s. No matter what, if this has been an ongoing thing, this is a very young boy. And it's just trifling. I think that that's trifling as fuck, that there is somebody younger in the family. And no matter which way it go, girl, however the hell he's related to you, he's related to you. And even if it's through... through in, like You wouldn't catch me fucking my in-laws. <laughs> I know people like that. I know people like that who have... There's been like two people who got married and then two people close to them in the family have also started like messing around. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I just would never see my in-laws like that anymore. But then also not just my in-laws, but one of my in-laws child children. <laughs> like that is an odd thing. That's a very odd thing. You want to talk about rocking the fucking cradle? <laughs> that motherfucker was doing more than rocking the cradle, bitch. But didn't the case get thrown out? Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, I was actually going to say that. So, um, so specifically, which is very interesting, and I just want to say this before I finish, but like before I kind of like um, you know, say this. Um, with this being said, prior to all of this happening, of course, I was on the side of the victim because who am I to say that you're lying? But yeah, so the restraining order that the nephew filed against Ricky Martin was formally dropped and his nephew actually ended up withdrawing sexual, I mean, withdrawing the claims regarding the alleged sexual relationship, which is kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that because it's like, well, what happened here? Like, did you get, did they pay him off or like, what? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like situations like that, they also just realize they don't have as much money as Ricky Martin might have. That's something that a lot of people need to understand and they need to reckon with. Sometimes people are just too broke to actually continue a lawsuit. I don't know if people know this, but whenever you have lawyers involved, you are paying by the fucking hour. So it's very yip, yip, yappa, let's fucking go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you say, I'm sorry. I've never heard this before. Say this again. It's very yip yip yappa. Let's fucking go. What the fuck is yip yip yappa? Oh, yip yip appa. I'm sorry. I said it. I, said I can't this. believe you just disrespected me on the show. The fuck up. Let's move on. It's appa. It's appa. Okay, was, Yang. This is added to the list of things that people what people can oh my god i'm sorry what people could do to instantly make me mad also slander mary Kay and ashley pokemon and avatar that's all i wanted to say but anyway, what about digimon see like digimon is touch and go like you know like as as time went on it got as but the first three the first like six seasons were very solid so if you all talk about that you don't have taste that's how i feel about that 
I don't know if you're taking note of that, but you know, for past, you know, for a future episode, but yeah, don't talk about the first six seasons. But either way, with this Ricky Martin shit, um, I was, I'm not going front. I'm not saying I'm messy or anything. And I ended up watching Menudo Forever. It was a lot of some, it was some wild shit happening up in that group. It was a lot of allegations of sexual assault, sexual abuse, um, a lot of drugs, possible sex rings. Not really, you know, and again, not to, and also for you all don't, that, that don't know, Ricky Martin was part of the former group Menudo, which was a Puerto Rican boy band um, that kind of would, that never died, honestly. It just kind of kept regenerating every few years when the members aged out. Um, which is like, and I also, I think when probably when they became like um, less attracted to the people in management more than when they aged out, I, I hope that that boy, that his nephew is able to heal from that because that's, that's a very unfortunate circumstance to be in. And also like, you know, who can like, and I hate to say it, but like, I mean, like who can kind of argue with money? If you need money, if you're in the, like, if you're struggling, you're going to take the money. And like you said, like being in court and like doing filing suits and like having lower paying for fees, that's, that's costly. Who has time for that? You know, um, it's a lot. And I just kind of wonder with the Menudo for everything coming out, it's like a lot of that abusive environment kind of infected and infected Ricky Martin to an extent because he was brought up around then. He was probably one of the first people um, that kind of came, you know, that, that actually not the first one of the first people, yeah. but the person that kind of made it out um, beyond Menudo. People weren't able to really outlive the shadow or like outshine Menudo in their solo act. So, you know what it gives? Wait, what it gives? Menudo's gives. I'm sorry, it's a menudo. I don't menudo. really give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it gives. They give all fucking 26 members give Puerto Rican counterpart to B2K. Like went through some very weird shit with their management. Very wild, sexually deviant, yeah. weird shit with their management. And just never recover overall, like, even the way that the relationships with the people are. Because in situations like that, when people are being abused, right, sometimes some people are being abused, some people, sometimes others aren't being abused. And so there becomes this factor with those groups. And it's like, I feel like you could have done more to help me, or I don't owe you anything, or you were trying to like essentially put us both in harm's way. And so it's so much shit that can go on between people. And I don't think in situations like that, there's any one person to blame, but I will say fuck Marcus Houston because Marcus Houston is also a groomer now. So agree in Jehovah with this. <laughs> facts are facts, America. Oh girl. That's real though. But I just want to say, this is a bit of a quick scene, but you brought a B2K. I just want to say, I will never forgive America. And like the hip hop RB community for making jokes of Razby being sexually assaulted by management. Like, and it's like to this day, I can't listen to Looking Boy because of that one line about Razby. I'm like, that's not fucking funny. And that was such a good song. I know. And that was and so then when you I, get older, like you said, it's just like, wow. I was like, crazy. I'll never forget because I haven't heard it in years and I haven't heard it again. Like, I heard it for the first time in years when I was pregnant with Shiloh and I was coming from a pediatrician's appointment. I mean, like OBGYN appointment, and I was on my way to work from the appointment, and it came on, and I was singing along, and then I'm like, and I heard them to say the Res B line, and I'm like, excuse me, I was so I've never been so disgusted. I couldn't believe that shit. I couldn't believe it. People make such a joke of like men specifically being sexually assaulted, raped, molested. It's just, it's disgusting. It's genuinely disgusting. 
I just wanted to bring that up. If you fucking think that shit is funny, do not listen to us. That is, you are not welcome here. I don't know if Rashi agrees, but that's how I feel. And you're not welcome. Period. I don't like that. Period. It's giving febre. Bitch is giving too hot. Bitch is getting too loud. Okay. We don't want it. Period. I don't know. These I'm are all just like Ricky Martin songs. I'm I'm tired. Anyway, either way, I think this all is some trashy ass shit. Um, and I just want to say I always side with the people who aren't in power because I always know how easy it is for people in power to manipulate those in like those who aren't in power, like you know, especially sexually. So even though the case has been thrown out, the charges have been dropped, as well as the restraining order. I think this is extremely unfortunate. Um, especially, also, just want to say this. The way that they've been casually, and I know you said they're not related and shit, but the way that the media has been so casually just talking about the romantic relationship as if it's not a weird dynamic, it's like, as if it's not kind of incestuous is weird for me. But also, the way Ricky Martin's team kind of went in there and tried to, like, claim, you know, and talk about mental illness was very trashy. But either way, um, with all of this, I hope justice is served. Um, period, but what you what's next, Poppy? Really quickly, too, I'll just segue into the next thing after I say this. I am just so tired of people putting such wild actions on mental health because yes, yes. you can have mental health issues and you can do things based on mental health health issues. I doubt you're gonna get in a relationship with somebody like that fucking young because of it. However, if you do, it doesn't make it right. And I think that people know when they do these things, it's not right because they're almost never public with it. Period. You're right. <laughs> Therefore, 100%. if you know you can't be public with something, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So, Talvez, hey. we move on. <laughs> yeah, you said right, purr. I'm so mad. You've been waiting for that shit. Go ahead, yo. <laughs> Ah. Up next, we are running it back to monkeypox because, like any highly contagious virus, it's going to take up the most space in conversation these days. So don't blame me. Blame the headlines, honey. I am just the vessel. <laughs> but it was announced that the White House and GLAD will be collaborating to bring LGBTQ plus influencers and put on a briefing that would basically dispel misinformation around one, how monkeypox spreads. Two, who can receive the vaccine. Three, who is most at risk. And then four, why the LGBTQ seems to be getting hit the hardest. And so this is supposed to be a strategy because apparently the White House understands that communities are more likely to listen to each other than the administration. And I just want to follow that up and say that if you understand that we listen to each other, why the fuck do you think we would listen to somebody you paid? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, America. Literally, I'm talking to America. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. A lot of people, as y'all know, there have been headlines surrounding monkeypox talking about essentially gay people. And how this is hitting gay people the hardest and how essentially this is the quote unquote next HIV and AIDS <laughs> epidemic, which is a illogical and B just something that is very incomparable, <laughs> very incomparable. 
And I think that it's kind of ignorant for people to even make the correlation to that. Um, But we are 100% seeing an era where we are getting that kind of agenda setting and that kind of propaganda, anti-LGBTQ plus propaganda specifically, where they are able to go on these big media outlets and, you know, spread headlines, very specific headlines like sex party increases levels of outbreak they think the more that they show those articles the more the more repetitive people get those headlines implanted into their brains the more people will believe it and they will so that's how we're getting that that's how we're getting here and again it's misinformation at that point when it becomes an agenda it's kind of disinformation again i tell y'all all the time it's kind of a rocky road to get in between which one is which sometimes but there's a malice intent behind it. And though not explicitly stated, that's what this is. For me, it's disinformation. It's not just misinformation. But yeah, I, I also just want to say that I feel like the people who take this on aren't using any real critical thinking. <laughs> I think that you kind of have to be really stupid to just blindly accept an offer to quote unquote educate uh, the masses of your peers about this disease that they're pinning on them without actually saying they're pinning it on you. People accepting that, I think, is really an interesting... It's going to be really interesting how people even respond to them. So I'm wishing the best for them, but not really. <laughs> Erica, I would love to hear your thoughts. I think, so, yeah. Again, you you brought forth another topic. It's just I don't even know which part to unpack first. So, okay, very similar to what you said earlier, like the whole idea of getting influencers just to talk about these issues when without any real background. So, like, of course, I understand the sentiment to an extent, but it's giving really flat tummy tea influencer talking to me about monkeypox, and I don't like that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, because at that point, it becomes one of those PSAs where they're reading off <laughs> Very, of a prompter. Like China was tigers, boom boom. <laughs> but, like, girl, what? That's sad. <laughs> like, it just like I just imagine them being very stale reading off the script because I'm sure they probably won't be doing shit on their own. It will be given to them there. So, of course, like, monkeypox, and because of the media, they targeted LGBT communities, specifically gay male communities, saying that monkeypox was basically the fault of them, right? So that so that was the first era, right? And them comparing it to HIV is very interesting to me. And because it's like, you can't compare the two, but the thing that will be comparable is the fact that they're pinning it on a specific community of people. And because of that, they'll be demonized. So America as a whole is already founded on a Judeo-Christian faith, which is already kind of anti-gay, anti-LGBT. So the fact that you kind of force-fed them that rhetoric, that narrative is very harmful in itself. When we first decided to talk about this topic, I became very angry because I didn't. You always find out about certain things before me, but I became very angry because I can just imagine the tidal wave and the whole shitstorm this will take up. Because what you'll have is you'll have people who are already homophobic talking about gay people in that specific way, saying that they're spreaders of viruses and things of that nature, and you'll see hoteps putting that in their speeches of why gay people are wrong and why they shouldn't exist. You'll see a lot of hatred towards the gay community which they already have sadly but it's just at you added fire to the flame and it's just very disheartening to hear that that's what they that's the direction they went in because it's just like you all have these team this whole team of people in the white house and nobody thought that shit through or did you silence them mm -hmm. and you're so right 
because I'm thinking back to COVID when I remember COVID was the quote unquote Asian disease. And so Asians actually did suffer a good deal. 100%. As far as the interpersonal violence that they faced on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis around the time of early COVID when there were a lot of targeted attacks towards them and people were specifically saying that they were spreading disease. And we already know that there was this kind of isolation that gay folks specifically underwent back in, you know, the 80s and 90s because of HIV AIDS. But I wonder how different, because I think that there's been a lot of invokement of hateful actions just like when we even saw yeah we we see a spike right we see a spike in violence anytime something is associated with a specific thing and that that thing is negative right so again talking about asians and covid i just wonder if the same thing is going to happen to gay people queer people trans people as it relates to monkeypox now because, I mean, what are the options? Yeah, you can 100% try to educate people. But at the same time, people only want to hear what they want to hear. And it kind of goes back to our last point in the other conversation, which is convenience. If it's convenient for you, you're going to deem that as truth. And a lot of people don't want to be wrong about their homophobia. They don't want to be wrong about their transphobia. They don't want to be wrong about their anti-blackness. They don't want to be wrong about anything. And again, that's that pride. It's really that pride. And so they just don't want to be wrong. So they're going to deem whatever they want to deem as truth because they just simply don't want to be wrong, which is just so interesting to me because inside, you know, you're wrong. So you're already suffering. You're already going through it, but you want somebody to suffer a physical consequence because of what you're going through internally. Oh, okay. So you're a pussy. So you don't want to deal with your own shit. (laughs) Like, you know, you don't want to deal with that emotional baggage. And then also, just overall, I think that framing this as a gay disease is not just harmful to the gay community, but it's also just harmful to everybody. If you start to believe this is a only sexually trans, I think that's one of the more annoying parts about it, is this emphasis on sexually transmitted when people know when it's an airborne disease. It just also happens that if you have some type of touch, with their infection, you're more susceptible to it as well, right? But that goes with anything. (laughs) So it's just this overall harm that's going to be brought to the larger community, to everybody, not just one specific community, but when you pin it as other people being impenetrable by this disease and only gay people are getting it because only gay people are engaging in butt sex, (laughs) and you're going to get it in the butt. It gets weird. It gets weird, and it lowers everybody's anxieties. It lowers everybody's tensions around it because they start to believe, oh, I don't really have to worry about it then because I'm not having bus sex with another man. (laughs) So that's kind of just it for me. Um, Anything else you want to add? No, I just, I honestly disagree with everything that you said already. Like, just like, I think that, like you said, it's very harmful to kind of just pin it on one group of people when in reality it can affect so many other people. Like I was telling you earlier, like two kids were actually diagnosed with the with monkeypox within the past week. And luckily they were able to be given the vaccine for it 
kind of, I think it's called TPOX, which is the, you know, which is the, the FDA approved treatment for, for smallpox and monkeypox or whatever. What it really comes down to is like, again, collective responsibility. You just have to, and just also just make sure you do your research. Like you can't just go off the headlines. You have to do research because we're constantly being force fed bile. So you have to kind of unfortunately have that responsibility to go ahead and just like sift through the bullshit and the debris to find out the facts. Um, and it sucks that the media can no longer do that for you because they actually have a specific agenda. And the agenda right now, like we said before, is kind of demonizing the gay community right now. So we don't want to do that. And like I said, and like we said, anybody can get it. Stay safe out here. Do your research. And make sure that when you, you know, you go to the doctor, you tell them your symptoms so they can give you the monkeypox joint instead of a herpes test like the nigga from before. <laughs> so. Yeah. So overall, I just really want people to be aware. We want people to be aware that this is just a framing of pandemics and viruses being spread by just one group rather than as a thing that is simply a contagious virus. And again, framing things as anything but harmful for everyone because it takes away from one group's accountability and ostracizes another group of people which is gay folks at this moment. But yeah, please just use dissemination at your best discretion and just do your research from verifiable sources. Please and thank you. Erica, what's our final topic? In comparison to monkeypox talks today, um, this is pretty light, but I thought it would be something decent to kind of pick up because our main topic, because of our main topic for the day, which is like talking about being non-binary and the non-binary experience. But a lot of fans noticed that Lil Uzi changed his pronouns to they, them in his Instagram bio. Of course, at the moment, Uzi hasn't commented on it further, which I feel like Percy is in Uzi fashion because I'm peeping he's kind of like low-key a little bit except for the fucking um, little gem he had implanted in his forehead. But whatever. But I wanted to bring it up because even though I don't really listen to Uzi like that, I feel like that he's paved the way to an extent. Like, of course, like there are people who have come before him you know, but all black boys I mean, hip hop, um, you know, in black spaces, like specifically hip hop are very sparse and they're few. So the fact that Uzi kind of like, you know, he's been kind of like doing his own thing and kind of like showing people that it's okay to be you. Being in hip hop, you don't have to have a certain look or be a certain way. So, yeah, it's, yeah. They're still a misogynist. They're definitely a misogynist. And I think that's the thing too is you're not really familiar with Lil Uzi Bird. I don't even know if you know that. I know they, I know they I know JT. they with JT. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, right. And that's about it. But literally last year, was it last year? I believe it was last year, Lil Uzi Bird essentially had a court hearing around beating his Oh yeah, we talked about this. We 100 percent talked about this. They essentially beat up their ex-girlfriend. What's her name? What's her name, Brittany? I believe so. Oh, child, this is a really a full circle moment. Okay, so here you do remember. I do remember. So you said that, I'm like Brittany yeah. in my mind. Oh. And so I, I think the thing that is that sometimes people get really obsessed with this idea of representation and this overall stepping away from the trend in hip hop that they can forget that. Just because you change your pronouns doesn't make you any less of a misogynist. 100%. They are a violent ass misogynist. That's pretty much all that's changing for me. I'm dropping the he and putting a they. They are fucking weird. 
<laughs> and it's not the music because some of the music I liked. I mean, I don't listen to it anymore, but I just think it is also really weird that you can take on something like non-binaryism and stepping away from the norm and stepping out of binaries. <laughs> like, let's be real. That's what non-binary is stepping out of binaries. And you can still overall have certain actions and still think that certain shit is feasible and still think that certain shit is excusable. It's really weird to me because that means that you're not doing any real work around who you are, but it's cool for you and you feel like you've accessed some language that sets you apart from the rest of your class. But really, you sit in the same class with them. Baby, this class is intergender. And all y'all's giving trash. <laughs> like, it's not giving, baby. And so that's kind of just how I feel about that. I really don't have any more or less. Again, we know we have the facts. Facts are facts, America, as Monique Hart would say. And they are a proven misogynist. They are just like any other Philly, Philly nigga. Because, yeah, there's no atonement. It's no care. It's just still this flaunting of wealth in this flaunting of lifestyle but make it they them <laughs> like you know <laughs> i'm gonna keep it a bean i definitely forgot about this shit. i had to kind of just go back in my drone for a second i was like yeah well that's it's you know again so i just want to just put this out here i don't condone uplifting people who do like you know sexual violence domestic violence honestly just shitty people as a whole had i remembered i probably would have brought this up but I don't know. I just kind of thought it was like on on point. And yeah. And the thing is also, let me just say that again, it doesn't make Lil Uzi Vert disposable. It just means yes, it that does. they have not atoned for anything. It does make It's the same thing that we were saying about Carolyn Brian Dunham, Dun Dunham, whatever the fuck that bitch name is. <laughs> you know, Emmett Till's killer. You know, it's the same thing for her. You can do something, but if there's no atonement, if there's no empathy, if there's no work put in, how am I supposed to believe that there's any real critical thinking going on up there except deflection? A lot of shit is very deflective. It's the same thing about Young Thug. Like, Young Thug was proved to be, like, some... Didn't he say some weird shit about, like, dark-skinned women or some shit like that? I think all the niggas out here is colorist. Yeah, like said. and so... It's like him, ASAP, Rocky, all of them, right? It's like they everybody credits them with being so soft and so sensual, and I'm like, yeah, and they're still because they be because they fuck. decide to do like dabble in androgynous <laughs> fashion or go I'm outside like, of like masculine fashion. I could whip somebody ass in a dress like it's nothing, sister. That don't make me, girl. Me wearing a dress don't make me soft. Soft. This is because I wear a, draw, a dress ain't soft, life, honey. It's very hard over here, and it gets very hard over here. I know what you said that people I think it makes him disposable just like it makes Carol Dunham Bryant disposable Carol Bryant I don't know well, I, don't I think have... the difference between the two is one lived 50 plus years beyond that and Lil Uzi Vert only did this about maybe last year or the year and before. I feel that but I just feel like I'm specifically biased to people who do sexual or violent or like domestically domestic violent crime violent crimes crime, crime I'm, certain shit you just not getting like excused for atonement or not like I don't give a fuck like that's disposable so like at the end of the day like of course like 
I picked this because it aligned with the fucking topic. It didn't pan out like I wanted to, but fuck that nigga at the end of the day and his fucking, <laughs> and his fucking gym in his forehead. That's the nigga in jail, period. Like, I don't know why JT with his ass is weird as shit. Either way, I, you know, like, and I was going to say this whole spiel about how I'm happy for people who are able to be like themselves and come in terms of who they are, but I don't really care no more. So that's really all I got to say. This was so wild. Seeing this transition for you was so wild. But either way, my nigga, it's time to give. <laughs> all right, y'all. It is time for its giving, which is a segment where Erica and myself uplift one mutual aid call for support. And we ask that our listeners give if they can. And we always want people to know that the girls room wants its listeners to remember that it is important to give when you can to those in need. Let's lend a hand and remember that you cannot be out here just talking to talk. But you got to be out here walking the walk as well. We want all of our listeners to know that while we talk our shit on this show, love is the message. So who are we uplifting today? Perfect. So this week, once again, we're going to lift up Josh, who is an emerging journalist, full-time student, and overall just a decent person. And I know personally, I know Rashid knows personally, Josh, Joshua is transitioning out of the foster care system and unfortunately, as a result, <laughs> is facing housing insecurity, which is a challenge that many Philly youths can relate to, sadly. Josh has, has been receiving support from DHS to subsidize rent and was coordinated with DHS to renew their lease to cover their rent. But unfortunately, a law recently changed, which, which they always fucking change. And it's crazy. A law recently changed, lowering, lowering the, rate, the age of eligibility for support. Um, making Josh no longer eligible. So shortly after their 23rd birthday, I believe, yeah, 23rd birthday, Josh was told that they would no longer be receiving support with no advance notice, which is fucking crazy. Super fucking crazy. But as of right now, Josh does have a place to live, but we're asking you just for help to raise some more money to help pay rent for the entire year. So like we said, walk that walk. This queer community member is in need, so it's time to reach into the pockets of the coin purses and donate some coins, and we can help if we can. So we can help them get back to living and help them with housing security. And their GoFundMe is bit.ly slash help Josh Secure Housing. All right, all right, all right. It is time for some girl talk which is normally my favorite part of the show. And furthermore, I am even more excited because we are not just discussing our personal experiences about being non-binary, but we are also bringing in two, yes, I said two extra voices for this episode to hopefully be able to showcase how versatile, no pun intended, though I do love me a verse, this identity can be. Stepping into the girls' room today is Messiah and Andre, who both identify as Black and non-binary. Yes, I love that. Anyway, yes, I'm so happy to have you both. Welcome, welcome you to the girls' room. Um, very excited for this discussion. Um, in the past, of course, we talked about different things that me and Rashi could both relate to, um, such as neurodivergence. So really happy to have two people that can also relate to the identity of being um, non-binary as well. So welcome, echoing everything Rashi said. Hello and welcome. How y'all doing today? Period. Um, and just so listeners know how this will go is that somebody will ask a question and then everyone will have a chance to answer if they want. This is an open discussion so everyone can both ask and answer questions. And that includes follow-ups to better understand each other's answers and perspectives as well, right? 
Um, so, well, I'm really not going to say much more right now, but instead I'm going to actually hand the floor over to our guests so they can introduce themselves, share their pronouns, and just tell the gays and the girls a little bit about themselves. So let's welcome Messiah and Andre to the girls' room. Hey. Hi, everyone. I'm Messiah. Uh, my pronouns are they, he. Um, a little bit about myself. Gee, what is there to tell? Um, what do you do? What are your hobbies? What are you interested in? What kind of niggas you into? <laughs> <laughs> tell us how you sang at Beyond the Bell Tours. No, let's tell how I was coerced into singing at Beyond the Bell Tours. Um, so you sing. Okay, let's talk about that. Because, because certain people, and we won't say names, threw me under the bus when certain people came to the back of the of the of the of the of the of the bus. But um uh I am an after school teacher and I'm a home health aide. But also I am a theater artist, a theater major. I've been doing musical theater since I was sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. As I think of more, as I answer questions, I'll tell more. Okay, that sounds good. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the girls' room. Andre, what about you? Well, I'm Andre, pronouns they, them. I'm a fat, black, non-binary, queer artist. And my work is at the intersection of queerness, gender, and blackness. And so I'm very excited to talk about all of that today. I know that's right. Yes, love that. So I'm just really going to just let Erica get started with the conversation because, again, we're excited to have y'all here. There are a lot of things to discuss, um, particularly, Andre, you just brought it up, talking about those intersections. That's super important. A lot of people would have to realize that our identities sometimes, like, inform one another, right? Especially when it comes to, like, self-exploration and, like, what we learn about ourselves and how we grow. So I want to just hand the floor over to Erica. Erica, I know that you have... Um, some questions. And so I'm going to let you just lead it all, lead our discussion off. Oh, wow. What an honor. Perhaps I have a question or two. I was going to ask some really corny questions to start off, but then I'm like, you know what? I'm with a group of my peers. So let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, All right. So first question for you guys. So at what point did you realize that you were non-binary and what was that realization like? For me, it was a kind of a journey over time. I think that as a culture, we don't do gender very well, even for people who fit within the binary. Um, And so in middle school, I had already heard about trans identity, but um, back then there was not necessarily a discussion about um, gender identity beyond the binary. And back then we were extremely focused on narratives that are harmful to trans people, such as born in the wrong body, which is not everyone's experience, um, or uh, surgical transition, which again, is still not everyone's experience. And because of those 
um, kind of barriers to understanding trans identity. I kind of was just like, I, I don't feel, you know, male or female, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm in the wrong body. I, you know, feel right in my body and I don't necessarily feel like, you know, I need to undergo, you know, any form of medical transition. So that probably is not it either. And so it took kind of many more years after that until I was in adulthood and I started hearing about non-binary identity that I was like, wow, that sounds exactly like what I feel. I, I could kind of relate to that because I do remember back then, it's like they really didn't talk much about things outside of the binary. I just, it kind of took me back to middle school mm-hmm. and just hearing about people's queer identities and it kind of being something that was taboo because it wasn't talked about a lot, but we're in a totally different space now, but. That's a great segue into exactly what I was kind of going to say. Like, I think about being younger all the time. And if I had to, like, say, when did I realize I was actually non-binary? Like, I, I would have been realized I was non-binary, like, as a child. And I specifically always think about just those instances, like, as a child growing up and always having more female friends and, like, always hearing, you're not like the other guys. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're not like the other guys. Like, you're Rashid. right and so my name for non-binary was always just being Rashid but like then all this other language comes along when I'm in like college and just like you said Andre it was just like very like oh gravitating it was almost like magnetic and it was like wow this is exactly what I am but no that's really just kind of my point so exactly that sitting on that sentiment and I would just I mean yeah just echoing what you said Andre is when I would say I knew as well I love that. Um, I guess for me, kind of like Andre said, it was a journey, but like, I guess the moment I felt like the light bulb finally went off, I was in a show called The Medusa Play, and one of the directors and like a couple of my castmates were all non-binary, and that was like my first time actually experiencing like non-binary people in person, like prior to that, most of the non-binary people I had knew of were mutuals on like Twitter or Instagram so like they were like three four five states away so I had never seen them before like never met them in person so after being around them and in the in the show a lot of the characters had like non-binary identities as well and as we kind of discussed it and talked about that I was like hmm this seems kind of familiar I'm relating to this a little bit too much and then I guess that's when it was like, well, duh, because that's you. And I was like, oh, okay. So now we're here. <laughs> I definitely um, feel that 100%. Very similar experience for me. And it kind of made me think, I used to work at a nonprofit organization with Rashid, where we were teaching high school students about social justice issues. And you can imagine um, the different topics and just, you know, everything that, that spans across And I just remember like, you know, coming in contact with so many different groups of people, I probably my entire life, I came across the same type of person. Um, So coming in in contact with people that weren't just straight or gay, and like, there were just so many other things outside of the binary, as you you know, um, as Andre said earlier. And I think I realized there, because I, for me personally, like being born as a female, as a woman, especially when you're born into a fat body, a lot of times people equate being fat as a woman with masculinity because women are supposed to be seen as something that are like dainty feeble just something small petite and i just remember like it's a very different time now for plus size 
you know, like femme plus size women, because back in my day, we didn't have all this cutesy shit. You either had to go to Lane Bryant or you had to go shop in the Husky Boy section at Walmart. And that's where I was always at. I was always shopping in the men's section because that's all that really fit me. The clothes that were at Lane Bryant not only were not part of my age bracket, but they also just weren't me. I wasn't hyper feminine. Um, so at that point, just being, you know, ha- you know, being put into these like really terrible clothing in the Husky Boy section was terrible clothing because it was it was stupid. It was random shit that you put on a graphic T-shirt because just put anything on a fat person's t-shirt and they're going to be happy because it fits them and I just remember just not feeling feminine at all and then like in that realization and self being stripped of femininity I was like well femininity isn't really me either but then also masculinity isn't me and I guess in that specific instance it was kind of like what Rashi said I'm not really man or woman I'm really just me I'm fat Badu I'm thickerita I'm Clitoria. And that's that. But I just wanted to put my realization out there because I wanted to be a part. But no, I, that's, but no, I could, but either way, honestly, well, all of, you know, everything that you all said, I could relate to. Thank you all for sharing that specific story. It was definitely giving, I'm Nicki Minaj, Nikki Lewinsky, <laughs> Nikki the Barbie. <laughs> no bang, oh. no bang, no, no chunky bang. Okay. With the, um, with the, what it was, the, the chopsticks in her bun. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about essentially like, when do we come to the realization? But sometimes realization for a lot of people, right? Like I realized I was gay really young. It, is, it doesn't mean that I actually assumed being gay until I was older. So when did y'all assume like the title of being non-binary and what did it like actually feel like to step into it? When did I assume the title? That's interesting. It wasn't too long after my realization because like by that point, I felt like I was around people. I could feel safe with saying like hey so I'm non-binary but uh it definitely might have been like maybe like a couple weeks like a month or so afterwards and I was like so I got something to tell you sis and it's still like journey like still a process of like needy people and being like so my pronouns are they he you know Sometimes people still default to he and like, I'll just let it slide and I'll just let it go. I think I'm still working on like really asserting that and and assuming that title. I definitely, I feel that that last part, especially for me personally, when it comes down to like pronouns and stuff like that, and it may be weird to some people, like for me personally, it's really just about how I see myself. Um, so my pronouns specifically are like she, they, they, she, and it's interchangeable. They, she, that bitch, whatever you want to call me, as long as there's nothing disrespectful at the end of the day. So I feel that a hundred percent. And also with asserting yourself, I respect you for that. Cause a lot of people kind of, ju- I, I, I know that can be a really intimidating thing to kind of like call people out on like addressing you the right way, especially when it's something that wasn't established from the beginning. Some people do feel intimidated by that. So love that for you. I assume the title non-binary, I think I did it la- either last year or like the year before. I mean, even in that, it was so turbulent because it was just so many different things that I was trying to come to terms with. Because I think that the identity of a Black woman is just so strong and it just says so much about a person. And I didn't want to be stripped of that. But at the same time, it was like, but I am what I am. And then also even like the language surrounding it. Like I could, I saw, I, I call myself a mother and a lot of people will call me out on it. And you're like, you're a parent, you're non-binary. It's like, but I said what I said. 
but definitely assume the title of being non-binary. And it felt really liberating um, because I think I dragged my feet on talking about it and coming out about it, letting people in as Karamo from Queer Eye Set, even though I don't like Karamo, but here Ain't you, Coon. Listen, listen, I just, I'm sorry, it's one quick scene. When Karamo made that young man meet the man who paralyzed him by shooting him, I was, I was done. I was done with the series. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> I was like, this is a lot going on, Karamo. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, but it felt really liberating because I was scared because when I tell people I'm non-binary, a lot of people be like, oh, so like you were born a man. And it's like, it, cause the, it's like people lack the understanding of what non-binary is so much. And it's like, it is, I don't want to say it's lack of resources because a lot of the things and the language around it is so much more mainstream than when we were younger. And I appreciate that so much, but people still don't want to put the work in and do the research in certain things, especially when it doesn't apply to them. So even though I'm very stern and I stand full, like flat-footed in my identity as being a non-binary person, when I tell people specifically cis men that I'm like non-binary, I always expect the question, was I born a man? And it's upsetting a lot, but come you know but finally coming to terms and letting people know that i'm non-binary was an amazing feeling and if you're out there and you feel like you're non-binary and you don't want to tell people that's fine there's nothing wrong with it i was about to say something smart but that's fine it's not your time yet but it will be your time one day and that's what matters andre i'm gonna let you go next thank you i basically came to terms with um kind of i guess outwardly expressing being non-binary in grad school because I was making a lot of work that was dealing with gender and was feeling really weird about being basically the only, you know, quote unquote male in my department making work talking about gender and specifically because all of my role models are women and kind of reconciling a lot of that. And so I think that that experience really pushed me to kind of stand up for my personal experience. And it kind of pushed me toward realizing that, you know, I don't feel comfortable with people kind of pushing this male identity onto me because, which is also interesting because I don't, there was a time where I had to like, where I felt like I had to like chase maleness and masculinity and then to all of a sudden have it like thrust upon me i was like there is something very odd going on here uh the consent wasn't there (laughs) it it sure was not (laughs) and so you know it really did force me to kind of like come to terms a lot with a lot of uh, just a lot of internalized things that i had not been ready to confront yet And since then, it's been a long, long journey, because I think that the first step is admitting to yourself you're non-binary, and then it's figuring out what that actually means for your life and for those you interact with. Me and you are always going to be up here, I see, because I really feel the same exact way. It's something about like, and that, and we'll get into this more a little bit later, but it's kind of the reason why I won't get rid of that he at the end, right? Like, is they he? It is because like, I have, I have more experiences identifying as a man in my life than I do, than I will ever have as saying I experience womanhood. I just don't experience womanhood. I never have. 
I draw inspiration from womanhood because I was like raised by three women. Um, um, and like all of my best friends are women or Erica, you know, again, they're not nine binary, they're Erica. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, and then like, yeah, like you said, all that inspiration that I get, all the nurturing and care that I've gotten has been from women. And so it's like, there's a certain level of empathy and like relation to like the things they like, the things they do that I can 100% like relate to. But I just can't ever say that I've experienced womanhood the way any woman I know has. Um, and that's okay, but I know that that also separates me from people, right? And I know that I've always lived my life a very different way than most men have. Even as a very young child, I didn't do all the same things that boys did. I mean, like, even when I did football, I fucking hated football. Like, I played it. I fucking hated it. I argued with my grandma every time I came home, like, girl, I don't want to play this shit. And it was like, low-key, she was doing it because she knew. She knew there was a little, like, there was a little pansy, like, growing on in me. But, like, she just didn't want to say it. She didn't want to admit it to herself. Um, (laughs) But shout out to her. Rest in peace, girl. Um, But, you know... It's something about when people try to like force a certain narrative onto you or force like a certain experience onto you. And it's just not that. And I've just never felt I've, I I had more experiences as a man, but I've just also not necessarily ever related to them. But I think also in certain forms too, like traumas that have happened to me have definitely 100% helped me like come into the realization and help me step into it and kind of like overcoming and learning more about my traumas and unpacking those have definitely helped me like step into it and actually like assume non-binary and those come from all my different identities and experiences like even with being like sexually assaulted as a child like it created a disconnect in some way shape or form um you can't explain it it's really not a physical thing it's very much like just a thing you feel like you just know when you know and it's kind of like how when people are always when i always hear people ask like trans folks oh well, when did you know that you were x y and z and it's like I mean, they just know, like, I mean, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I think that that's really it for me, but it's like something that Messiah said that I really want to like, this wasn't a plant question, but just from listening and this kind of goes to the overall overarching LGBT, like LGBTQIA plus, you know, all the girls and all the letters, just a question between whether y'all think that there's something about safety nets and like having those like communities of people behind you either like a part of the community or who you already know would like support you right so like i i mean i didn't really have anybody no shade (laughs) when i like was coming out and all of that no matter what it was um but is there something about safety nets that help people step more into themselves no matter like what it is is there a connection and i mean even if there's a rebuttal i would love to hear them I think that it is hard to come to realizations about yourself if you are not able to see yourself. And so Mm -hmm. I think community is important because we all need a support system. But I truly believe that if you don't know what's possible, it can really be a hindrance to admitting to yourself what you feel is true about yourself. I think that the, the, the children of today are very lucky to have a lot of different representation, age appropriate representation, because growing up for me, a lot of the representation of 
mostly gay men was, you know, very adult or sexually deviant. And I think that having representation that is on par with um, cis heterosexual representation in media is super important because it teaches you that the feelings you have are not only normal, but okay. It teaches you that there are multiple ways to be uh, within those identities and we come in every color as well. And so I was just, you know, tweeting the other day about representation within Craig of the Creek and how that show um, has gotten very gay and very non-binary, very LGBT over the years. And, you know, that is incredible. I couldn't even imagine that five years ago. Before we move on, I'm sorry. I just want to say you talked about those representations. And I would just like to shout out Planter Rosa Productions for raising me. <laughs> Child, I was thinking about Oz specifically. Okay. Um, there were a lot of shower scenes that raised me. Don't drop the okay. soap, girl. Not in Oz. Yes, I just wanted to say that. Okay. okay. But never to it's going to hurt.com. <laughs> Why was I just talking about that literally two days ago and how that's terrible? <laughs> Listen, I don't think Chief play is a no. Because I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually not familiar with that. It's not going to hurt. Can somebody just clue me in? Like, is no, it's, actually, it's called "It's Going to Hurt." Yeah, well, it's going to hurt. What? Maybe I, Andre can do the favor since they were already speaking. Because yeah, because like I'm like I'm imagining, and I'm like I don't know if it's what I'm thinking. You know, like, so just, I just want to shout out, you know, Castro Supreme. Sometimes it's not always firm, but I guess it gets the job done because. He 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 had a lot of equipment, and sometimes the equipment didn't always arrive where it needed to arrive. And that's all I'm gonna say. But the secret race play was there because why was it always a white twink that couldn't handle the equipment? That's all I'm saying. It that you see how insidious and sneaky it is. <laughs> it was a mess. I think I'm I'm <laughs> the picture is being painted and it's being I'll send, as we I'll send I you screenshots. I just it's too much. I'll send you him and uh, Tiger Tyson. No. Oh, Ch- Chile. <laughs> wow. I just want to let you guys, like everybody that's listening, know I'm definitely a sore thumb right now. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm not, I should have done research before this episode, girl, because what's going on? Like, what's happening? Oh, man. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry, Messiah. Like you were about to speak. We're going to let you go. <laughs> I was gonna explain it's gonna hurt because unfortunately that was how I stumbled across our allegedly our stuff. But um yeah, I did want to piggyback and say that I do think safe space having like those safe spaces, be it you know, wherever it is, I would almost argue is kind of vital to you being able to step into your identities and learn more. We just did a training at my job about trauma and the video they had us watching, they were talking about survival brain and like learning brain. Survival brain is always, as the name would imply, in the state of like, I need to survive, right? I need to watch my surroundings. I need to 
make sure whatever I do is perfect. I, you know, there's no space for mistakes. There's no space for like slip ups. There's no space to learn because I'm always in a state of like trying to survive and just trying to get to the next day. And I feel like if that's where you feel like you are in life, if the people around you always make you feel like, okay, if I can just get through today and nobody clocks me, if I can just get through today and no one has to do anything, where is the space for you to be like, oh, I had this thought today and it led to this and then it made me realize that you have to feel safe in order to be able to explore because how else are you going to do so? I definitely agree. And I kind of just wanted to say the same. I think that community is definitely vital. Of course, I agree with what Andre said earlier about you having to see yourself before anything. But um, I know that community can be the right push. Definitely not trying to compare the two. I don't think I've ever truly been afraid of like afraid, afraid of really telling people like who I am or like what I'll be doing. But I know like, you know, deciding to tell people and let people in on the secret that I was non-binary, it was very unnerving. You know, I decided to tell people via social media because it was easier. And also, I don't talk to everybody in my family. They all own here. So now you know what my pronouns are, what I want to be called. So it was kind of unnerving for me. And I was nervous to see how they were going to react to it. Luckily, because I know everybody doesn't have this experience. They were pretty good about it. They're pretty good about it. Um, the ones that I care about, at least, I should say. So I know for me, that was something that um, I worried about a lot. But my question to you guys is, do you feel that since your realization or, you know, you decide you deciding to tell people, letting people in on this, you know, that you are non-binary. Do you feel that people, specifically family and friends, have interacted with you differently after letting them know who you are? I'm going to just jump in and say for me, overall, no. Yeah. Like, just no, period. Only because, A, I just always have, like, surrounded myself around people who are always going to stick up for me no matter what. Like, no matter what, like, decisions I make. I'm never going to be friends with people whose opinions I don't care about, first of all. <laughs> but then those opinions also, I have to know if they have certain values. They don't have to know everything because Lord knows I don't know everything. I have to be in community and be friends with, family with, as you know, Erica, with people who I just already know are going to be open, can be honest about what they do and don't know, but also just be willing to grow and just have an overall respect for people. Like, I think that's just always the thing for me is just the respect. And you may not understand shit. And that's one of the things that like I've told my dad and my dad has like held with him. He used to have a problem with like calling people um, transgender folks by their like preferred pronouns. But then after a certain point of me talking to him, I'm just like, but what's the problem? Like you have a Muslim name that's technically not your legal name. So like what you going to tell somebody like they can't call you um, Richard. They have to call you Rasul because like that's your Muslim name. And he was like, I mean, but that's my religion. And I was like, okay, and that's their gender. So what's T? <laughs> like, I mean, like, you don't have, like, there's no difference to me. So even with that, like, my dad, and as, you know, as sometimes as people get older, they just start to have, like, a, a better tolerance. And they also they also do some self-reflecting about themselves, which, like, leads them. So, like, I've never really been around people like that. Like, I don't talk to my family. <laughs> so, my like, my biological family. So it's fucked them. So. I yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I have both sides of the kind of. Well, really, there's not a both sides of the tolerance coin. There's tolerance and intolerance, but 
you know, it has been a uphill battle with my parents, getting them to understand non-binary identity. And with my siblings, it's been easier because of, again, the generation gap, if you will, on gender identity and sexuality. Um, And so I think that it is an ego issue a lot of the time. As Erica said earlier, the information is out there in the same way that non-binary people are doing the research and learning about themselves, people who are not non-binary can also seek those same resources or actually listen to the non-binary people in their lives as they tell them, you know, what they specifically would like from them. Like, I don't necessarily think you need to become a scholar in gender studies to speak to someone the way they want to be spoken to and use the required pronouns. And so, yeah, my, my uh, younger sisters have done a tremendous job of not only getting my pronouns correct, but correcting other people. I love that. The ego thing. Woo, you said that. It really just be ego. The girls really just to be need to let go of that ego. That's really what it is. You said a word. But if I, if I could ask a question, um, if we have a moment to kind of go back, uh, mm-hmm. I would like to actually ask Erica a little bit about you know, their experience with their identity as a Black woman who is non-binary. Because I have seen a number of non-binary Black women who want to hold on to their identity as Black women because of how generally Black gender is constructed and policed in this society specifically. But how Black women especially are policed in their gender. So it's been really hard. So like I said earlier, I always, it was very hard to come to the realization that I was non-binary because of how big being a Black woman is to me. I was raised by a Black woman. Black women to me are the epitome of strength um, and are the backbone, I believe, of the Black community. And that's just really how I feel. Um, Being non-binary as a black woman has been very um chaotic i guess you could say um i know that and also because of you know i I date frequently um and i think as we all know a lot of men specifically cis hetero men are queer phobic and i'm going to say that loosely because it's just like anything that isn't heterosexual is a challenge to them and it's intimidating to them as a whole so once you put being non-binary into it interacting with cis hetero black men can be extremely violent and sometimes what will happen a lot of times when I say that I'm non-binary is that they'll think that um, that I'm trying to deceive them because they don't understand the difference between what it is to be transgender non-binary as well as so many other gender identities or lack of gender identity so they kind of if it's not gay or bisexual it's automatically transgender to them so it's been a very um interesting experience being non-binary as a Black woman is very challenging. I know for me as a Black, as a fat Black woman, it's always been challenging because like I said earlier, I just never, I just, I just never felt like I belonged in the woman category. Um, As much as I tried to, it was just so hard. Like the stereotype of a woman is, is fleeting and it's just something that I can't grasp in the least bit. And I feel like a lot of fat people, especially a lot of fat femmes feel the same way. It's just like the only way to be acceptable as a fat woman, a fat black woman is if you're hyper feminine and that's not possible for everybody. And then also because of the way that fashion is, 
if you if you don't dress hyper feminine as a fat woman, you're automatically messy. So even if you dress like kind of like leisurely, something that could be seen as sporty chic is automatically sloppy when it's on a fat black body. So it's been very interesting, been very um, disheartening, but I do try to stay strong in my identity. And I'm not sure if I answered your question its entirety, because quite frankly, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent because I always am. My memory is 100% trash and I probably should have wrote this question down initially. But did I answer it? Or, or are, there, are there any other things specifically that you would have liked me to answer in that specific question? No, I think that you did great. I mean, I I don't think that you can speak for all Black women. Yeah. So <laughs> don't feel like you had to. I'm, oh, I, I know that, of course. It's just like for me, per, it's just, it's so weird because I feel like being, I'm a Black non-binary person born as a, as a, as a woman versus like being a non-binary person born as a, a fat person. I, it's just when you bring fatness into the equation, like Rashi said, the interse- intersectionality informs and changes and like interacts with all identities differently. So fatness with queerness is always very weird, especially in a femme body. So I can only speak to my experience, of course, like you said, but yeah, I definitely can't speak to everybody's, but mine's has been um, interesting. I can only really say interesting. I wanted to ask because you... You have brought it up, fatness. And you felt like fatness and womanhood feel almost so antithetical, which is interesting because I feel the same way about fatness and masculinity. I mm. often feel like men are supposed to be, what's that word? Like lean and small and the, the, the hunt, not small, but like muscular, like the hunter athletic type. So I always felt like being fat and being more, I hate this word, but curvaceous always is one of the things that like robbed me of masculinity. So I did want to ask if anybody else felt like fatness in a way disrupts, skews people's perception of you and your gender. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Andre, I was going to say you can go first or I don't know if you were saying something or. Oh, I, I was just going to agree completely with that um i but for me i think that that is what is exciting about being non-binary like the stop before non-binary for me was gender queer and i think that my arrival at non-binary has come with a kind of explosion of gender period i like to question more than i like to answer in non-binary. And so it's, you know, it's a yes and. So with fatness, you know, fatness has no place in masculinity or femininity because we live in a fat phobic society. You know, blackness has no real place in femininity or masculinity, excuse me, femininity or masculinity because we live in an anti-black society. I think a lot of um, what we view as black masculinity and black femininity has been formed mostly in response to what whiteness has thrust upon us. I think that a lot of times we'll, we will take the stereotypes of white America and then try to build identities to combat those. I think that, you know, the, the kind of hyper-masculine Black ideal comes out of a rejection of overbearing Black femininity, which is, you know, a patriarchy's response to a kind of matriarchal uh, reverence. 
And so I think that within kind of all of our experiences, we are hitting up against all these boxes that are trying to contain us, but they weren't meant to. I agree with that. Um, And this conversation and that question that you asked Messiah in general makes me really think about, it makes me think about this tweet that one time had said that fat is like its own gender. It feels like its own gender sometimes. And I remember when I came across that tweet, I was like, wow, this is crazy because that really 100% feels like that to me. I only say that because people always question me even about like queerness sometimes. And I always, I don't always have conversations about, it's like when people ask me about blackness sometimes, right? I actually feel like I don't even see my blackness as much as other people like see, like in that, in a sense, it's like, I'm always around people who are black and we don't just sit around and talk about how black we are all day. Right. Like we have that shared commonality. So there's not always a reason for me to be like, hyper you know criticizing or exploring that and what that looks like because i see it like i experience it the people i'm around are also black but as it comes to sometimes queerness yeah there was a disconnect for me growing up but a after people learned that i could beat your ass like i didn't really experience like growing up like that much like other people say they did i never experienced like the bullying i never experienced like the isolation like I used to key with the with the masculine boys. Like one of my closest friends in um high school and senior year was like this football player. And people knew, like, you know what I'm saying? Like after a certain point, they knew it wasn't like it was a secret. <laughs> so I had also felt very young at a very young age, too, because I mean, like 17, six, I mean, 17, 18 is a very young age, still a very young age to feel like. I didn't have to hide queerness and it also just stopped coming up also after a while too. Right. Like as you get to be friends with people sometimes like, yeah, there are sometimes questions that they may ask me even after being friends with me after 10 years, but it's not even a yearly thing. I feel like, I don't even feel like I get questioned on my like queer identity from my friends. Now, as for fatness, all them bitches got to (laughs) pay. Like there are some answers I need from all the girls about, not only how they treat me, how not only how they treated other people, but just the way I've even seen them converse about other people who are fat, right? And I mean, I would be very ahead of myself if even I myself said I haven't even in my adulthood, in my fat adulthood, had to police myself from saying that fat ass bitch or something like that, right? Because it's just so heavily ingrained in me when I'm like arguing with somebody or I'm mad at somebody to say some hood shit like that. Like that's very much like, me just vulgar from the hood happened to come at your neck but that also means that that's a lot of non-thinking and i just can't (laughs) i just can't be saying anything out in these streets honey and my fatness has really like i've viewed a lot of shit and i've always felt so much more violence from fatness even just the idea and concept people don't understand i hate eating around people i don't like doing it i i like eating in the comfort of my own home i don't like eating anywhere else that in itself is an issue for me. Um, the fact that I can't go online without seeing a picture of some fat person being made into somebody's joke has me in constant question of whether somebody has taken a picture of me and done the same. And it's just so much normalized hate around like fat people that I've had to like actually analyze and be critical of 
even over my queer and my black identities. And so I 100% say that my fatness has always made me stray from the pack and has 100% helped me to kind of claim like non-binary because like that in itself, I felt like has separated me from a lot of people's experiences. And it isn't until recently when fat people have been able to like start like being open again um, about like that. Well, now I don't, I wouldn't even say again, because I mean, the skinny girlies have had it on lock since like late um, colonialist times. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is like pretty much the first time in like contemporary um his and yeah contemporary times that like we're able to be open and honest about our experiences at least like some people because it definitely ain't all it definitely ain't a good amount but some people are definitely starting to listen and identify like fatness as its own section and its own identity in the ways that we experience violence in the way that we're like pushed to the margins too and i just want to say that that became clear to some people I realized that like breaking that down for people also isn't as hard as it is, isn't as hard as people would think. I did a, I literally did like a 15 minute presentation in college. That was my like exit presentation for my master's. It was like in communication. And I had to talk about basically like how um, fat people are disenfranchised um, from the media. And I talked about how, like, if you walk into, if you think about a fortune 500 company and who you would make the face of it, right. They told me who, who would be the face of it. And it's the same re and I told them it's the same reason as to why you see Lizzo receiving so much more criticism, critique, and just overall negativity than somebody like Beyonce. They go on stage to do the same thing. They may not sing in the same key, but they definitely get on the stage to do the same things. <laughs> and they wear the same things, right? And so, like, it's that experience that has 100% helped me understand even who I am as a non-binary person. And even these days, like, disability, disability and fatness for me have been two things that have, like, made me way more hypercritical of the shit that happens around me than even my blackness and, like, my queerness. You brought up multiple, multiple great points. I want to take your um, the points you made about fatness can be its own identity. Fatness can be its own gender and kind of apply that to even like queer identities. Like a lot of people's idea of non-binary people are thin, often thin, white and kind of androgynous or kind of like I almost want to say almost like elvish looking like very like like very Peter Panish like. You know, you know, you listen, if you think of any, you know, a lot of times they, like they hire um, like when they do like the, the the stage plays of Peter Pan, they hire like a woman to play Peter Pan and they have like the little boyish haircut like that is like the, the, the non-binary TM identity. And so where do you, you know, fat black people fit within non-binary? Have you ever seen that joint on Twitter that'd be like a white person realized they ugly didn't want to be non-binary? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, but no, that's keto. Like, and then they do they do, they do the fucking Doc Martens and the fucked up asymmetrical bang. That's really that's it. That's the look. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that. Continue, Andre. I'm so sorry. And then so and then also on the other end of that is you have communities within the gay community that are supposed to be catering to you know the fat identity you know like bears or the quote-unquote big boys that are then so steeped in you know misogyny and um kind of this anti-femme kind of agenda 
you know, it, 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 it starts to then, you know, again, the intersections, you start to realize, you know, if you're going to be a fat person within a queer community, you are then policed to act a certain way. Because then at the end of the day, like if bears are the only community and you can only be masculine, where do non-binary people fit in who are not masculine? So, you know, again, and then with non-binary, if, ev- if everybody you're seeing are these like, you know, androgynous pixies, where do fat people fit in? And that also like just leads into the performance of it all too. And like what, like, like you said, right? Like somebody looks at me and they're like, oh, you're non-binary? And it's like, I don't wear super feminine clothes or what people assume to be feminine clothes. Like certain should be super light to me. Um, but, you know, I'm, I still dress like what they would like classify as a guy. And I feel like that, like sometimes as like, you know, that kind of like feels like that and adding into it and like that overall, like what people perceive to be certain, certain things. So we're talking about I guess you can say the identities and the intersection, the intersecting identities, right? So I just would ask, what other intersecting identities would you say contribute to your non-binariness overall? Like, and then you can just, yeah, you can give a little explainer after, like nothing major. Like, what do you feel like overall contributes to yours? So I feel like mine's is the idea of being fat and black and queer overall. Like, I think all three of those make up my non-binariness, to be honest. Can I say ditto? Because same, like, I just, I don't want it to sound like a broken record, but I just wanted to say that, like, I just feel like fatness and has always contributed. And I don't know how things would have turned or how I would have felt about my gender identity had I not been born fat. However, I don't know because I am a fat bitch. Um, but yeah, like I said, like, it's just, I think fatness has always been, and just like, in kind of bringing what you all said back to this in a way, but not going backwards just for moving forward. But fatness is, a, you know, is a, its own gender because it, it does kind of thwart society's view of what it means to be male and female, man, woman. And I never really thought about how it kind of can like, skew what people think of masculinity as well until messiah brought that up because i guess the same thing because like in my head and how it was taught felt like feminine small masculine big that's kind of how it looked in my head and like how it would how i was kind of brought up with my under my mom's teachings of course but no i just wanted to say yeah like but fatness definitely the intersectionality of fatness and also queerness to an extent has always kind of contributed to me being non-binary but more so fat to the forefront because again you can't be feminine and fat. It's just not, and especially not my type of feminine. It was a no for me from the start. But that's that's my answer. I would like to add to being fat and black and queer. Being for me, being dark skin also adds to is also something that comes into play because now there's this like contradiction of a bunch of things. Um as someone who is born a male and perceived as a male, fatness becomes this like feminizer for lack of a better term. But then like at the very same time, dark being dark skinned is also seen as this like aggressive masculine thing. So there are literally like two opposing things, neither of which I feel like are me working against each other all the while trying to like 
I feel like 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 constantly in the state of tug of war. Like I'm supposed to be tougher and stronger and more uh, and athletic um, because I'm dark skinned. Like that's how I'm viewed. But at the same time, I'm like mammy because I'm fat, and it's like those two things do not like <laughs> they don't mix at all. So I wanted to add that to the mix. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but, you know, also have to co-sign the fatness, the blackness, the queerness. I think that really anything that can kind of be seen as um, breaking down the kind of gender binary is, is what is kind of contributing to my non-binariness. That's so interesting, too. I just want to say that I feel like as I was listening to everybody's responses, that kind of brings me in the mind of like when people argue over the word queer and like how it's not just supposed to be this thing that's like minimized to sexuality. And I'm kind of that's really, I really sometimes be feeling like very inter, like, you know, very back and forth. And I feel like queer and non-binary for me in a sense. And again, this is just for me. Everything isn't the same for people. For me, you're always just interchangeable because sometimes I tell people I'm queer. Sometimes I tell people I'm non-binary and that's like it. And I don't know, like, that's been other people's experiences. And then I also just want to add, too, that just in general learning about being neurodivergent. Um, so having, like, invisible disabilities, but then also being neurodivergent. Just that whole identity and that whole overall umbrella has definitely also, like, transcended me. So, so it just, like, keeps having me, like, step even further and further into the door. But since we're already here, too... What are some of the challenges that y'all would say that y'all face like regularly as a non-binary person? And for me, that can be both internal and that can be external. Um, they're both appropriate for me because some of those challenges can be self-related, but then some of them can be even just those small, like what people would say are small things. They aren't small to us, but even um, the assumption, right? You get into a space and somebody keeps consistently calling you he, like that shit. Sometimes you're like, okay, girl, like that's like, that's not this and this ain't that. So what are some of the challenges y'all would say y'all face? Um, right off the top of my head, I'm really just thinking, like, for me personally, and I'm not sure if anybody else like here really has this. I feel like sometimes people feel like I have to prove myself. Like, we talked about prior to this, like, you know, when people think of non-binary, a lot of people think the spokesperson for being non-binary are those, like, petite white people that, can, that are androgynous. So I feel like technically a lot of times when people see me, they don't really see non-binary. They don't see the person that they think embodies the word non-binary. So I think that's kind of something. And then also like just I think that like it's me being me putting being a sex worker in there. A lot of people that when like when people think sex worker, of course, they think woman a lot of times. And it's kind of just like it's very two dimensional. It's very. It's, so it's like people think that when you're a sex worker, like for, you're hyper feminine, you're in tune with your sexuality. So a non-binary sex worker who presents as feminine or presents as a woman doesn't make sense to them. So I feel like I'm constantly kind of fighting for people to understand that I'm non-binary and that's how I identify. And I feel like as I get older, I'm more comfortable doing it. And as time goes by, I'm more comfortable doing it. But it's just upsetting that I constantly have to do this back and forth talk with people to tell people and inform them who the fuck I am when I know who the fuck I am. And why are you asking me questions? I actually have to concur. Um, I think one of the 
tough parts of the journey for me has been um, kind of the internal and external battle between having to kind of reconcile how I want to kind of present myself versus, you know, how to kind of stay safe versus how I think people need to see me in order to, I guess, acknowledge my non-binariness, if you will. Rashid touched on it earlier a little bit when, you know, they were talking about people looking at their style of dress and kind of being like, you know, not necessarily being perceived as, you know, dressing non-binary. And I think that we are a little further than we think from um, kind of accepting that clothing has no gender and that anyone can wear anything. And that includes, you know, what's already out there within the kind of masculine feminine binary. You know, you're, you're going to have non-binary people that are going to look quote unquote masculine on quote unquote feminine. That doesn't mean that you should assume their pronouns. That's kind of the whole point. You shouldn't assume what anybody, you know, identifies as based on what their gender presentation is. I think they also, Andre, you said it from the jump when we first started the conversation. This is just from me listening. You literally started the conversation off with people do gender wrong. That's it. Period. Period. I would say for me, Erica kind of touched on this earlier about being non-binary but not wanting to give up the identity of being a Black woman because it's so, like, important and integral to, like, your upbringing and, like, affects so much of how you maneuver the world. And it's kind of the same thing for me with, like, Black manhood. I'm not pressed to be a man by any motherfucking means, but, like, at the same time, I always feel like or have felt like my thoughts of manhood and masculinity were invalidated in a way. You know, like when I start giving my takes or start giving my opinions, even before I came out as non-binary, it was, oh, well, you're gay. So like, of course, is that for you? Like, of course, blase, blase, blase for you. And then you add the fact that I don't feel like I'm a man at all. And now people are just like, well, then what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you have no, you ain't got no make of design. But I still was raised as a black man. When people see me, they still treat me as though I'm a black man. So when we're talking about certain things, when I'm talking about certain things about masculinity and I'm pointing things out, I'm like, I know for a fact men do this and men do that and men do the other. And people are looking at me like, well, what the fuck would you know? Um, quite a lot, actually. So that for me, I guess, would be like, my challenge if you could call it that yeah and i would just echo that That kind of even goes into the like the whole idea of me going by he they like i kind of assume he because i'm like that's kind of my reclamation like y'all gonna call me that anyway i'm just gonna assume it but i also just want you to know at the end of the day like i'm not a man so my pronoun can be that because it's just going to cause me a whole lot less stress to care about it but then also that reclamation of like my coming of age, like, I'm never going to get rid of that. I'm never going to just magically forget about having to sit in, like, barbershops for three fucking hours to wait to get my hair cut, right? <laughs> Hear those conversations, right? I'm never magically going to disappear 
having to be signed up for football and sports when I didn't actually want to play sports growing up. I'm never going to disappear the idea of me walking home at 12, 13 and being stopped by the cops because I was, what do they call that shit? The adultization, you know, what the, what the discourse girlies be saying? What is it? The adultification? Yeah. (laughs) The adultification of like black boys and black girls, right? That's never going to disappear from my life. It's never going to disappear from my memory. So I can 100% relate. And that's why I said earlier, like I have a relation still to malehood, but I don't have a relation to womanhood. I've never experienced the level of like interpersonal overall systemic violence that they have. And I also just don't have like shared common characteristics that they have and i just am like yeah that's just not me and i'm cool with that i'm not striving to be that but i also know that i'm not just this man i mean just listen to it man yeah y'all hear that (laughs) like and that's no shade to the man girlies but like just listen to it it just sound rough like you know (laughs) every time you say man all i think of is when uh Loretta Devine and for color girls, she's like, hey man, where are you going with what stuff? Like, that's all I can think of. But also, somebody ran off with all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite, and so is Janet Jackson's soliloquy. But I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah, that's it. I know, so like earlier, of course, and I, and I, I talked about it briefly, and I, I think the common misconception personally that I get often from people is the fact that non-binary people have to look a certain way um people think that non-binary people was like one size fits all and it has to be androgynous it has to look the same it has to look confusing so that's the misconception that i feel like that i you know i get often and that i hear often so i was wondering if there are any other common misconceptions that you often hear um about non-binary people as a whole um and if so what are they Mine's is that we're just always supposed to be gender experts ourselves. I'm like, baby, I am not a gender expert. Like, I am not teaching nobody's Africana, nobody's feminism, nobody's body politic class. No time soon. Um, I am still coming into myself. So for me to tell you about other people's genders and how they, um, you know, identify is crazy. Also, we fuck up sometimes on the they, them and asking people their pronouns first. I assume sometimes before I ask, I mean, it's usually off of like stereotypical things, right? So again, even things that I get mad at, I still sometimes do. I'm just being honest. Like I look at people who like look masked and I'd be like, yeah, this man today was X, Y, and Z. And I don't even sit and stop to think about and be like, oh, this person or like, you know, this, yeah, this being whatever. Yeah, this person was fine, to be honest, Um, did X, Y, and Z this morning, right? So I ain't perfect. (laughs) but i also know that like we got more that we got to step towards and it's a part of the journey it's a part of the process and i mean you know it's conversations that we have to have and some realizations that we have i mean some things we just have to be real with ourselves about to kind of like get away from that and i mean i've been doing a great job of moving away from it but i'm not saying that i've always been that way not to be a dead horse or whatever but like just like the overall association of like anything outside of like a outside of the binary with like whiteness that you know like oh where like this that white people shit like this blah, 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 blah. like that's still the shit that I hear quite often and it's kind of like baby that's so tired like it's twenty twenty two like 
I'm really wanting to just step it up, like step in, step up. This like, like beyond just dressing, like just the fact that like, oh, only white people even care that much to like separate themselves from the binary or care that much about pronouns and this, that, and the third. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Because call a grown ass black man a girl mid conversation and watch him lose his shit. So like Period. that, that right there. So we touched on it a little bit earlier and this one specific thing I want to just kind of highlight and bring to the forefront. And I saw this question also on Twitter a few weeks ago. I don't know who it was from. So shout out to whoever tweeted it. Uh, maybe I'll go look it up and like associate it with them. But it was a question about how like language about like being non-binary and just overall gender and sexuality would have helped you during your adolescence. So like, what is something at least one, like one thing that, you think that this language and this kind of like accessibility to understanding yourself more and understanding other people more would have helped you? I think that it would have helped me relate to other people a little bit better because I think that we do better within relationship and that's all types of relationships when we know ourselves better. And I think in, in our relationship with ourselves. So I think that, you know, in a, in a sense, I'm envious of, you know, the generations yet to come, you know, the work that we all are doing to better know ourselves and better pass down that knowledge is going to benefit them. This is an interesting question for me, because when I think about what life was like for me when I was younger, I question how different language would have made anything. Because like, kind of how we were talking about with spaces. I can have all the language I want. I can know all of these words. I can know that all of these things exist. But if I'm in a space where it's like, okay, but do that shit, you gonna get your fucking ass beat. I just question what language would have really done for me. So like, I don't know. Like when I think about this question, that's kind of where I get stuck. And I think that's 100% valid. I mean, there's really nothing to that. I think that's 100% valid. It's like we were saying earlier, like, talking about safety nets and things of that nature. When you know you're in a violent situation, in a situation where you know that shit is going to get you hurt, yeah, you can think about it 100%. It can help you think about it. It can't help you, like, actually, physically be able to step into it and to, like, live in your truth every day. So I get it 100%. I have not experienced it. So, like, that's not my outlook, but I get it. For me personally, I feel like the language around being non-binary probably could have helped me um, a little bit during my adolescence, mainly because for so long I thought because I was born a woman, I'm like that I had to fit into this like archetype of a woman and be like hyper feminine. And I used to constantly and um, and of course I was raised by like two people who were from like one was from the 30, one was born 1934, one was for 1961. So definitely quite a. Uh, a generation gap my you know they dressed me and i was dressed in, in these terrible garbs from lord and taylor's and shit um wasn't really the most fashionable person um i was constantly dressed in feminine wear to kind of compensate for my size and i thought that that's kind of what i had to be because that's what i was told for so long when you have to dress like this so i feel like though like the language wouldn't specifically point to fashion and how to present yourself physically 
I think that the knowledge of understanding that I don't like that I can just kind of be myself and that's okay. Me being neither and just existing as I am probably would have been helpful. And I probably would have been more comfortable in my own skin. Um, I would have came to terms with who I am and like, you know, why I'm a decent person probably earlier on than like midway through my twenties, quite frankly. But I think that that language can kind of help a lot of people. I know it can't help everybody. Um, Because I know, like, you know, when when you're already a queer person, especially, unfortunately, like, when you're like somebody who who was who was like born male, it's not easy because like masculinity isn't as flexible. So when you kind of, you know, have like a bit of what am I going to say when you when you have a visible amount of sugar in your tank, it's probably harder. So the language really doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day. But I think that it can be helpful. And like I guess echoing what Andre said, I'm I'm kind of jealous. Um, I'm jealous of the fact that these kids and like the people under us, the younger than us, will have this knowledge and these resources, and they'll kind of have a better understanding of not only themselves but the people around them, and even the representation that we're seeing now. I don't see Craig of the Creek, but I've seen a lot of other things. So like Steven Universe, like shit like that. Like we didn't have that back then, but I think representation matters. So seeing people who are similar to you whether it's live action or cartoons is a huge deal so even the language in those shows mean a lot so I'm appreciative and also jealous and I can't wait to kind of see where we're going to go from here because I know it's going to be just so much more shit that we're going to have to learn and keep up with but it's better for the people that these other you know that the the education in the future will probably you know help and it will apply to them so yeah per periodo like Pidgeotto from Pokemon yes Um, thank you all for your responses on that. I mean, I have a little bit of just overall agreeance in all of them. I would just add sex to the equation for me. And when I say sex, I didn't actually start having gay sex technically until I was like 18. But however, comma, if I would have definitely been more informed, because I do think that like sex is a part of like that, I probably would have started having sex way earlier. And I mean, when I started at 18, John, I was still in some like old ass man. I mean, he wasn't no old ass man. He was older than me. Some basement child with my legs up in the air with no lube, child. Imagine it. <laughs> so like, it could have definitely helped me. Past and present. <laughs> so yeah. So just moving on, I would just ask if you could, I guess, say one thing that your identity as a non-binary person has granted you, what would it be? I think that my non-binary experience has granted me a different lens through which to view the world. I no longer kind of accept that the kind of constructs as they relate to gender and gender identity need to be the way they are. I get to decide which columns I pull from and how they apply to me. I would say in that there's like freedom, you know, I already live outside of the rules. So why create new ones for myself? I can literally just kind of explore and be because I don't have these imaginary weights tied to my ankles. You saying the imaginary weights tied to your ankles reminded me of Tar Beach, which was a book that my uncle used to read to me when I was younger. So I just wanted to say that for one moment. 
by Faith Ringgold. If you all haven't read it yet, watch. He it. was gay too. He was. He was, and he was. Um, he was hooking up with them and dating the man that um ran GQ. The Jones kids were always that those girls. Okay, so <laughs> T. I can't relate though. I just date drug dealers sometimes, unfortunately. Anyway, um. Like again, like comfortability, like just being comfortable in my own skin. I tried to jazz shit up like for so many years. So just like no, again, like it. I again, being non-binary for me has really just been a liberation movement, and I just feel like I can just do what the fuck I want, and it's just like I don't really care to judge myself or compare myself horizontally to others. So it's just taught me the 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 importance of versatility and individuality. And how it looks different for everybody. So yeah, like I just like I was I was that bitch before, but now I'm that bitch times two now. So that's it. Yeah. Cool. I appreciate those answers. I appreciate the forwardness and the openness everybody is, you know, has brought to the conversation. And I'm gonna say for me, one thing. I guess would be patient. And I think that that's patience with both myself and with other people, because like just understanding that this is a growing process helps me understand that other people have to go through their own processes too sometimes. Right. And I mean, that goes with all of my identities. And I think that again, like with learning all of my identities and like coming into them more and understanding what it means to be those things. But like we had already said earlier, all of those things kind of can make up our non-binaryness. And so that's where I kind of draw the conclusion that like my process and being me and having like grow helps me understand that like people are on their own track and people are, you know, sometimes going to take a little bit longer than others. Um, and that doesn't make them disposable. Um, it doesn't also mean that they're always inherently malicious people to me, but it does mean that I have to give them the same grace that somebody gave me when I was, you know, when I wasn't always the greatest. And again, people don't have to agree with that. That's just me. You don't have to extend grace to people who don't extend grace to you. But, you know, I that's just not my philosophy. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it just taught me. And since we're coming up on time, I'm just going to give Messiah and Andre just a little bit more some time to like, you know, anything that you want to say, anything that you feel that we didn't necessarily go like too deep in that you want to just explore a little bit more and maybe a final question if you have it. If you don't, that's fine. Just want to give you that time before we wrap up. I just wanted to share uh, an anecdote, if you will. Um, I had an exhibition back in 2018 where I did a self-portrait as um, the, you know, hot and tot Venus, who, you know, if you know that history was a Black woman who was an African woman who was kidnapped and basically put into a freak show for her body. You know, I really wanted to, you know, shout her out because I think that in the same way, you know, her body was put on display for you know, how fatness laid on it, you know, I think all fat Black people are still subject to that same kind of um, commodification and um, kind of grotesque fetishization. And the one moment that kind of like really cemented kind of this like gender, kind of gender exploration for me was 
a family friend walking by this, you know, nude portrait and mistaking it for my mom because the face was obscured. And I was like, Hey, it would be kind of weird if I took a nude of my mom. Not that I, you know, wouldn't necessarily do that. I just think it would be weird if I did. But second of all, that's really what I'm trying to say here about bodies in general. Like, there's a lot about bodies that we just assume they look like underclothes that they don't or do, if you know what I mean. Like, we're making a lot of assumptions about people in our minds that are not necessarily the reality or their experience. I love that anecdote. That made complete sense. It really did. I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, um, thank you for like those connections and also just um, giving a shout out to Venus because I think that was just a terrible thing that happened with Venus. And I just, I wish more people knew about it. Tragic. I should have said more, but the only thing I, I just think of tragedy, I'm sorry. But yeah. Sometimes it's just no word. It's just disgust. It's really just disgust. Disgust is the word, child. Yeah. Masai, anything you want to share? Not really. I think we kind of we kind of touched on everything that that was coming to mind. I want to thank y'all for having this platform for us to be able to have these conversations and for you know doing the work like they say. You know, love y'all. I, I I don't know a better person. <laughs> I, I don't know. So thank y'all. I have to echo it. It feels good to talk to other fat, black, non-binary people. I love this. This was real purposefully, child. I told Eric, I was like, I don't want to talk to no, like, skinny, like, non-binary people or no, like, non-black, non-binary people. I specifically want fat, black, non-binary people. 100%. When I um, pitched this to Erica. And, like, y'all came to mind instantly, of course. There were other people who I thought about as well. But I reached out to y'all first, and y'all just happened to both be interested. And I was like, oh, great. I don't have to go down my list any further. So y'all were my top two picks. And I got them. So I feel like um, I was on an all-star draft team, and I just got my all-star team per. Like, this conversation for me, being able to extend, like, the girls' room to other people uh, other times, um, especially with folks like yourselves, it just like kind of warms me and sometimes makes me want to do like more guest host spots all the time. But I know everybody isn't always going to be as amazing as y'all. And I don't like to have like the energy of the girls room tainted with just like people who don't know a, what they're talking about, or they just want to be heard and they don't really have anything going on or be just, you know, stunt queen like you know some girls stunt queen on the timeline then they get on and it's one thing about how you express yourself but if you then come can can't come on and say one thing about your thoughts and you can't reiterate one thought that you had on twitter and like kind of expand on it i get it we're not all public speakers i mean this isn't public speaking to me but this is just more of a conversation but if you can't like reiterate and then kind of build off like the shit that you say on the timeline it just be like come on girl like just stop stunt queening like i don't want to do this so being able to just like connect with y'all i really just do appreciate it and we both just appreciate your sentiments and your contributions to this episode and so you know we really just look forward to sharing space with y'all again both in and out of the girls room of course you know andre i said i gotta invite you over for a meal honey it's so, true <laughs> so i'm gonna make sure i get you over here look and I maybe stay what i'll do is i'll make sure messiah and um erica are here and maybe somebody else who i might know in the city who's like also like fat black 
um, and non-binary. But, you know, after a good discussion, we're finally really just going to let y'all go. And we wish really both of you the best of luck. And, of course, all of the love. And I'm just going to let Erica, if they have anything to just add, if they want. Well, this has been amazing. I'm a fan, okay? Like, we, like listen, if this could be a regular thing, I would be here for it. But, no, I, I did. I really did love it. It was really refreshing. I'm always dealing with whatever, like, ideas Rashi has. Because, quite frankly, my ideas in the past haven't always panned out. You know what I'm saying? But, honestly, echoing everything that Rashi said and much more, it's really been just, I wanted to say amazing. But it's just been, like, oh. Uh, wow like a treat a dream a blessing i don't see i don't know anyway all of that all of that that's a synonym you know what i'm saying but just sharing this space with you for this episode and just really being able to take in and also kind of just relate to a lot of what you had to say i feel like i related to almost everything that y'all had to say beside the can't take dick.com whatever the fuck it was um <laughs> don't worry i'm sending you that link boo but yeah like all of that yeah but i really yeah but like again i thank you all so much i hope you all have a great rest of your day great rest of your week great rest of your month year all of that and I can't wait to see y'all in the social media spaces. And of course, would love to, you know, hang out with you all in person. And also maybe come again, you know, come again to the girls' room. You know, take a step, take a take a step back. In, I was like, you know, child, we might have to open the girls' room up to more than just. It two might, hosts it might have to be. I'm sure. Yeah, I love oh, it. Thank you so much. Love you both, and love you too, Messiah. We love you too. Love all of y'all. It's all later. love. Love is the message. Period. Yes. Love y'all. I'm going to sign off now and I'll talk to y'all later. I'll let y'all get back to your day, hon. Hey. Wow. That was such a good duo of guests that we picked this week. I would say gays and girls, we are unfortunately at time for this week's episode of the girls room, but we encourage you to hit us in our comment sections on social media and let us know what your experiences with being non-binary are. Or if you have any questions about being non-binary, I also encourage you. The girls' room is a space that people can be open and honest about their feelings and what questions they have, of course, as long as they are respectful. And I can read tone, bitch, because I'm a communications major, so don't try it, girl. <laughs> but being non-binary, like many other identities, is a forever learning curve that requires you to interrogate how you show up for yourself and for others. And so you have to remember that your politics and identity aren't mutually inclusive and your identity can inform your politics, but ultimately the decisions you make are up to you. Being non-binary is really all about just being that bitch. And I also feel like that was something Rashi left out. So I'm going to say for both of us, being non-binary is about being that bitch, being able to exist outside of the binary, neither male or female, but also just being an experience, the experience. I love being experienced. I think Rashi does too. But anyway, that's all I wanted to say. But of course, as always, it's been a pleasure sitting here having a key with you and our fellow Indies. <laughs> I, I, I really did love this though. But I really feel like this was a really dope ass episode. And I know I, I always say it, but child, this really was. This was always it. This was it. So thank you all for listening to our podcast. We love y'all and we appreciate y'all for loving us. Thank you for listening, for sharing, for engaging, for truly just showing up overall because we really couldn't do it without you. But until our next episode, you can hit us up on all of our social media platforms at The Girls Room on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. My Twitter just got suspended, so don't judge me. We love interacting with y'all, and it helps bring us inspiration for what we can talk about. So please reach out and let us know what's tea with you. Yep. 
And with that just being said, I'm going to go right into it and say that I am Rashid sitting here with Erica, a.k.a. Thickerita, a.k.a. Fat Badu, a.k.a. Clitoria, a.k.a. Earthica, a.k.a. Bilbo Swaggins. This has been episode 32 of The Girls Room. That is our show. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Messiah and Andre once again for stopping by and having girl talk with us. And we will catch you all on the other side, like Jasmine Sullivan. Be well, spread joy, and remember who is in charge of the girls. And that is on Della Reese. Bye. Bye. <laughs>